0: Hello welcome back to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere setting. I'm going to edge closer to the microphone because I'm too far away. I'm going to edge farther. Good. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Mark.
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Mark. Sorry, I got distracted by... I got distracted by uh, the conversation about how to pronounce the name of the person I'm going to try to plug later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm also joined by Autumn. Um, <laughs> They're distracted by looking at the same conversation Well, now I, I
2: didn't know there was more to the conversation So I wanted to know Hi, that's I'm Autumn
0: not... Hi, and we're also joined for our big finale by Grace Hello, I'm I'm the Ars Arcanum
3: Mormon correspondent <laughs> um, Thank you for that's your That's me you're, you're so welcome <laughs> I, you know, I was in that faith community for most of my life all prepping for this. This was
0: the the purpose of that. Yeah. What else would there be if not a Brandon Sanderson podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. What was the purpose of your faith community? Could you just tell us that? <laughs> I'm sure you have some thoughts. Now, the kingdom of
3: heaven. I'm. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> If we want to get real existential. <laughs> I mean, also, there's been some shit happening yeah. in this in, in this space
0: lately, so, you know. Instead of that, did anyone read anything this week?
2: <laughs> I read Elantris. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't read anything. I watched Harley Quinn a bunch.
0: I, re- I read yeah. uh, a novelette. That's... Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Nora. I read a novelette called The Dreaming City. Which is the first Ooh. of nine stories comprising the core of uh, what is now s- s- kind of called the Elric Saga by Michael Moorcock.
1: Oh, shit. <laughs> I did see that you read some Elric stuff, and I had forgotten about that until now.
0: Yeah. Have uh, you all- novelettes are great. You have talked like about 30 this on pages that.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: um, the thing about Elric is that there are a bunch of stories from magazines or I think they were published in magazines. And then at some point there's some novels and then there's also some novels that are compilations of the short stories. And there's also some novels that are fix-ups of the short stories that try to tie them together into one narrative. Mm. Um, And also they don't come up with new titles. So Stormbringer could refer to like three or four different, books that you can hold that say Stormbringer on the cover. That's helpful. (laughs) And also because these books came out in the 60s and 70s um, they are not as well cataloged online as some works are. Now they are somewhat cataloged because Michael Moorcock is alive and posts online um, which I... Was surprised to hear, considering he was born in 1939. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's right. But um, he has so
1: Michael Moorcock mm-hmm. has like kind of okay politics,
0: doesn't he? Uh, Wikipedia describes him as an anarchist. Yeah, like,
1: but not to say that's the most important thing about any author. But like specifically for a, a science fiction and fantasy author born in 1939 who's still around, I think it's of some
4: note.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's right. I so when you told me Nora that he was still alive and posted online, I assumed it was a sort of like John Byrne situation where you did not want to know what the fuck Ooh. he's posting. John Byrne, um, a famous comics artist who has his own forum where he's just been posting about these females for uh, twenty years now.
0: I'm gonna check. I never Wait, actually that looked Cerberus guy to see if there was a or I.
2: Sorry, Nora. Can you turn up Grace a little bit in my headphones? Oh, sorry. I think maybe I'm a little quiet as well. No, you're good. I just I couldn't quite hear what she said.
3: Uh, is that is that the Cerberus guy? No, maybe. For... I
2: know him principally as the X Men guy. No, Cerberus. Cerberus oh, is, a okay. is a different
1: dude. Um, Dave Sim is the Cerberus guy. Right. Oh, okay, that's right. He's that's also. Right. He was, I mean, online.
2: also be.
3: He's also being like these women yes. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of comics
2: guys doing this uh, yeah gosh. it's just that john byrne is notable principally <laughs> yes. because he made his own forum about his own books where he could post <laughs>
0: right uh well i i searched michael Moorcock on twitter to see if there was like an official account and i don't think there is but i've now found this link to what appears to be a some kind of essay by Michael Moorcock about the saturation of fascistic and authoritarian themes and messages in science fiction literature.
2: On Libcom.org. Damn.
0: What is Libcom.org?
2: <laughs> Libertarian communist. It's
1: like an anarchist. Oh. It's like a one of the yeah. big... Like, if you want to, like, read an anarchist book, you can probably find it on Libcom.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um... Really, not what I was expecting when you told me old guy posts online. (laughs) Now, I saw some older posts, so I don't know if he's still posting because he's like, you know, getting up there now. But, um, yeah, for sure. He has a forum and there is like a reading order post Hmm. because he is someone who, um, recommends that if you have to choose a reading order, you should read them in the order that those events happen, not in the publication order of the stories. It's
1: so sad to me when authors uh. have that perspective. Like, <laughs> I, I, there's a there's a series that I, I don't know if I would say I really like it, because I, there's elements of it that I have looked back on and think are stupid now, but that I've really, really enjoyed, the Vorkosigan saga. Um, and that is a series that was written out of internal chronological order for the most part. And the author of those books, Lois McMaster Bujold Also says you should read them in Internal chronological order and it's Really absurd (laughs) Like the The, Those books do not make sense that way
0: (laughs) um, What Moorcock has said Is, is, can you (laughs) Sorry He um, (laughs) Like one thing that I saw Mentioned was that he's like yeah well If you read them in publication order I did kind of write the uh, the climax of the story like a third of the way through, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I guess I get it, but regardless, I he has a forum and he has posted on the forum, and at mm. least uh, in the like 2010s was posting in that forum. I anyway, all this to say that Elric is a pretty cool guy.
1: Elric and like those books are like basically the the reason that the concept of like law and chaos exists in like. D and similar fantasy stuff, right?
0: Uh possibly. That would make sense, because this predates uh D D by about a decade, which would
2: You were telling me, um You were telling me that like Neil Gaiman is a big fan of these books and that like He's credited alongside Moorcock <laughs> Okay, I was going to stop laughing at Moorcock, and then you stared at me, waiting for me to laugh.
0: Um, He's credited alongside Moorcock on, like, the fourth... See, you're doing it again? There's a forthcoming audiobook on Audible.com that will be out in December of the first novel. Not the first story, not the first book, but the first novel, full-length novel about this character. And also, I think I've seen his name around associated with some of this guy's stuff before but
2: the the thing that i was gonna say was that you had told me last night that like neil gaiman is like a huge fan of his and that you thought maybe it was the sort of thing where like michael moorcock is not maybe hugely influential on the like c- current generation of fantasy writers but is like influential on like the generation right before them so, or i
0: described him as one of those like sort of invisible influences that you see in media where it's like you don't know that this thing exists but it influenced this thing and that's the influence that you see yeah, yeah. but it's like when you yeah. trace it back another step you're like oh shit okay so like every D spell name comes from the way that they name the spells in dying earth right i knew that the magic system in general came from that. I never thought of like the spell names, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't know that unless you actually read the right. Dying Earth, right? Um, and it's but like it, it's the kind of yeah. thing
1: where it's it's interesting to call like I'm I'm pretty sure that Moorcock is also like a pretty direct influence on D and D. Like I'm I'm pretty sure that that is where basically where the law chaos thing comes from. Um, and it's interesting because it's like these feel like invisible influences now. In 2021, because if you were to read 5th right. edition D&D, they are not going to tell you about any of that stuff. Um, but no. it's not like, it, it. it's mostly like time and cultural. I guess mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is, it's interesting because um, I think if you're... I think those influences become more obscured over time, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Right. Because certain things, like history is not even, and certain things are going to be preserved way better than other things. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, if you weren't there reading these books when they came out, or when they were republished, uh, like a little bit later, um, they were republished in, in chronological order, mm-hmm. um, and numbered on the on mm-hmm. the books and everything. Um, but also, um, so Elric is one facet of a thing in Moorcock's other multiverse writing, yeah. which is the Eternal Champion, oh, okay. who you might remember from the Elder Scrolls Arena. <laughs> <laughs> when you finish the Elder Scrolls Arena, your protagonist is given a title, much like in the other Elder Scrolls games. That character is called the Eternal Champion. Huh. Oh, that's so because funny. Arena. Can, that
1: seems like <laughs> that seems like they. I mean, I guess probably Michael Moorcock is not the type of guy to do this, but that does seem like they could have gotten sued.
2: <laughs> it it seems like if that happened in 2021, if like a new Elder Scrolls game came out and did that, it would be a problem. But this is like the 90s, and it was the fucking Wild West, and <laughs>
0: no one cared um, about computer yeah. games. But um. But yeah, I I found that, and I was like, "Oh wait, that's that's just the thing," (laughs) Um, because he's he's written several different like series about different characters who are all this like reincarnations of this sort of hero figure who recurs in all realities and uh, is
3: oh well, I mean that's also uh, Planescape Torment, you know?
2: Oh really? I don't know shit about. Planescape. Kind of tell me about
3: it. Well, it's just that the I I haven't played Planescape, but the main character is this like immortal being, um, and you've lost your memory at the beginning of it. But a lot of the game concerns itself with like finding out what you did in past lives uh, and like lost right. realities. A, so. a lot of
0: the uh, uh, incarnations of the Eternal Champion have initials JC. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. That makes you think. Just like... Just like... JC Denton. Uh,
1: God damn it. You (laughs) beat... Wait a minute. (laughs) You beat me to it. I was about to say...
0: (laughs) JC Denton. Wait a second. JC, and then in Human Revolution, AD, and then in Invisible War... (laughs) Oh, shut up! Oh my
3: god! (laughs) How did I never... God, this was like my kingdom... Like this was how I was doing Mass Effect like every reading I had a Mass Effect was about this shit, and I never noticed that his name
2: is. AD. I mean, I didn't notice his name was AD. I was always fixated on the uh, fact his name is uh, Adam something.
0: Oh, Adam Jensen. Oh, yeah. Adam mm-hmm. Jensen thing. Well, and, the,
3: and there's the Icarus thing, too. Oh, right. So. That's right.
0: weird because there's an Icarus in Deus Ex, and there's a bunch of things called Icarus in Human Revolution, which is a prequel. They're completely separate. They just Human... reuse the same themes for different concepts in that. Human Revolution's yeah. a prequel? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Dave, did, okay. Did so, Invisible
2: War just mess up their timeline so bad that they couldn't do anything after it or yes. something? Okay. They mass affected. mass affected <laughs> their ending. Okay. Uh
0: Deus Ex Invisible War guy is Alex D. So AD, <laughs> JC. Mm-hmm. A D after J C. Mm hmm. Adam Jensen I guess Adam and then J C yeah. and then A D. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. what oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, um, this is, it's very interesting the ways that, just to keep talking about Elric a little more. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to talk about Elantris, do you? Well, I was going to, like, say, like, sometimes when you read old fantasy, there's some things that don't age very well. Mm -hmm. And one of these, I actually don't know, it feels like this is uh, outdated, but I have no frame of reference for this which is the use of albino as a noun mm-hmm. i don't know if people describe people that way in 2021 i, I think people with albinism yeah, i guess i would yeah know i think that that's either. a
1: little offensive yes um
0: i feel like that's what that's what my vibe was mm-hmm. um maybe more uh uncomfortable i guess is there's an archaic form of the word necromantic which sounds too close to a slur for me to say out loud on the podcast.
1: Oh, that's uh that's really not ideal. <laughs> because
0: it's uh, seemingly derived from an Italian uh prefix. Oh no. Um and I was just like no, I maybe no. maybe just say necromantic. No. Maybe the the soul-sucking sword, you can call it necromantic. No. And it's like Oh man! And like that's one word in this whole story. Yeah, like it. It's not like this is a, a like a proper noun that's being used a lot. It was just like, oh, weird. Why did you? Do, why'd you pick that one? <laughs> um, but anyway, it's it's very fun read. Uh, very brief as a thirty-seven story would be. Um, and also, uh, I just really like the prose. I think that it's really. Fun, especially as I am also reading the Hobbit, where I'm like, Oh, these are kind of like in the same space, which is uh a British guy is writing a story in first person but as a narrator telling you the story, nice, which means yeah. using i and and you in in the prose, but is never actually a character it's not like a person in the story telling you the story in first person. It's just a narrator who acknowledges that they are telling you a story. And that's that's always fun to me.
1: Yeah. That sounds sick.
0: Yeah. Um but Raceland Magir of Dragonlands, it's just Elric, but a <laughs> wizard, even more of a wizard. Cause uh, Elric is is this physically frail A person who relies on various drugs to maintain his physical strength while he uses his sorcery. Uh, And he has a a sick magic sword. And also uh, he has a patron god who he summons by killing people and calling his name. And then this like eldritch death god will start to seep into the material world and kill his enemies for him in very gruesome ways sick yeah i love that he just starts
3: i love the darkness (laughs) he
0: starts like (laughs) (laughs) he starts like calling uh calling this god's name and saying like blood and souls for for i think it's uh, ariok uh they come to my aid and like like putting this like plea out there and then like the shadows start to deepen and then the quarters there's some movement in this like unnatural shadow and it's yeah. It's cool. This is this is sick. This is <laughs>
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Also there's there's comics like that, that
0: look pretty cool too.
1: Nice.
3: Um I think that actually provides a, a good segue to one of the novels I read. If that's cool. Mm-hmm. Go Please. for it. Um I so I've been reading uh well I, I'm I'm still reading A Canticle for Label um sorry go on <laughs> yeah i think yeah so I, I think this is an extremely mark core book uh, if you haven't read it I, i've not um, but i've heard of but it but basically
1: this is just yeah, uh this episode is um, just people talking to me about books that i'm like damn i should read that
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah um so so basically it, it's about uh it's post-apocalypse and it's actually i heard about it on the range touch fallout podcast because it's a inspiration like a source text for fallout Mm. um and like the brotherhood of steel in particular um but basically it's about this sort of monk monastery in southern utah this catholic monastery um like you know a thousand two hundred years post nuclear fire that has been keeping like all this sort of technological knowledge um and um And there's sort of this, I mean, yeah, the book's kind of about, like, okay, what is the difference between, like, secular and sacred, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What is the distinction between, like, science and, you know, because sort of in the post-apocalypse, like, all those things got blurred. And the monks, instead of, like, you know, transcribing scriptures, I mean, they're doing that too, right? And they've also written new scripture, right? That's, like, about the before times and stuff like that. Um, They're transcribing, like, how to make light bulbs, and, you know, things like that. And so, um, and they're also caught between sort of these like tribal empires that are starting to emerge, um, you know, that are aligned or not aligned with the church. And so they're sort of caught between these like secular and sacred forces. Anyway, it's really interesting. I think it does like, it has a lot of like post-apocalypse stuff that's um kind of racist and that's kind of goes with the course. Like the assumption that like, oh, people will revert or like, you know, become primitive, right, in this way post-apocalypse there's sort of a, a condescension towards that stuff that i don't think it is like uncomfortable um but i think it's also really interesting and it has like um there's sort of this like J- wandering jewish man who's like looking for the messiah and that stuff is really interesting too um i haven't finished it yet i'm on like the last third of it but it's it's really cool so far and i think it's like um i i feel like i you know i have not played like fallout 1 and 2 or the This stuff, I feel like, would be at the forefront, but I feel like they sort of take some of the superficial aspects of that and make it a lot less interesting. Like, it's a bunch of guys in power armor who have, like, cool weapons and whatever, instead of, like, scared monks who are, like, making illuminated manuscripts of circuit boards <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's really that, great stuff that really
1: is so good um this and i i can't believe i hadn't figured this out until now but like you talking about this is making me realize like oh this is like a huge influence on um some of the gene wolf books that i love um
4: oh yeah, yeah that makes sense um,
1: Probably just in general, but in particular, um, one of his, like, one of the sub-series of the solar cycle, the Book of the Long Sun, has, like, a a setting that is, like, that is after, like, there was in the past a lot, much more, like, advanced technology, and now, like, the kind of knowledge of how to make it has passed, but a lot of the actual technological objects still exist, and the memory of how to use them is preserved by, like, this sort of pseudo catholic religion so now i'm like oh right duh like obviously he got yeah that. yeah i mean he didn't just get obviously it would be possible to come up with that idea but obviously anyway influences very very cool
4: yeah
3: um yeah well there's a there's a scene that i really like where they like show this scholar this like secular scholar the light bulb they've made and they do this like like ritual where they're all like reciting in Latin as they like activate different parts of like the electric generator Um. you know (laughs) and stuff and like yeah it's just really interesting um you know and I think like part of it's aesthetically really cool right like there's sort of an aesthetic quality to people sort of adding this having this mystic element to the scientific right but it's also like really thematic you know and like is asking I think interesting questions about what it means and like also there's sort of this question of like we've been preserving this knowledge but is this knowledge just going to recreate the holocausts of like past you know are we just going to enable another apocalypse to happen right and that's like i think a pretty interesting good question
4: mm.
0: Mm. um on the subject of like these re- what you're saying about like post-apocalypse and like time uh can i share the intro for the dreaming city real quick please sure for 10,000 years did the bright emperor of melnabon flourish ruling the world 10,000 years before history was recorded or 10,000 years after history had ceased to be chronicled for that span of time reckon it how you will the bright empire had thrived be hopeful if you like and think of the dreadful past the earth has known or brood upon the future but if you would believe the unholy truth then time is an agony of now, and so it will always be.
2: Time and now are capitalized in this paragraph, <laughs> and it's maybe my favorite thing oh. I've ever read in a book. Oh, <laughs> that is sick. Time yeah, we...
1: is an agony oh, of oh, now. That's... Oh right. Yo,
2: That's so good. Yeah, I was oh.
3: just, there's a sip, there's a sequence. Ah, I'm just like getting pumped about Canticle Philipwoods, because there's a sequence where they read this like scripture that's like how the apocalypse came to be. And I think also like the book's really shrewd about the relationship between like historical fact and then sort of like the scripture or the sort of accounting that's written like hundreds of years after that is like by definition sort of inaccurate, right? Or like not strictly historical, but that nevertheless like represents something truthful about that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway it's just really like it's yeah there's like a there's a part where god like speaks to the prince who like tr- you know triggered the apocalypse the nuclear holocaust and it's like you have made a holocaust of my sons <laughs> right and it's like yeah
4: <laughs> all right so <laughs> uh, yeah it's good it's good
3: um, man <sighs> yeah now
1: i'm just reminded of um <laughs> this thing uh that I, we ran into on Higgledy piggledy whale statements the other day where um we were uh, talking about an event in the Book of Daniel because it's like referred to in Moby Dick, the um, the writing the writing on the right. wall, um, oh, and yeah. mm-hmm.
4: uh,
1: that is like an interaction between Daniel and this Babylonian king asterisk named Belshazzar, um, and Belshazzar was a historical person who technically wasn't a king, didn't claim the title king, but was obviously being a king, doing king shit, um, and.
0: Just king things.
1: <laughs> and the, the book of Daniel was written like hundreds of years after the historical person Belshazzar and the historical person, question mark, Daniel lived. And, um you know, it was written in the wake of the Maccabean Revolt. And like a lot of the Bible is in response to political and religious events of the time when it was being written. Mm-hmm. But sure. um, Wikipedia referred to the book of Daniel as historical fiction. And I was like... I don't think that's what it is.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like, I
1: agree that the book of Daniel... From a
2: certain point of view, I guess you can twist those words around. What are are you, a
0: New York Times crossword editor? (laughs)
2: Yeah,
3: I mean, that's, that's very, like... I, I feel like a Richard Dawkins guy wrote that. Uh, very, Wikipedia page. very right. possible, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know. Like,
1: I do not think, I do not think even a, uh, like, because, you know, obviously biblical scholars, secular biblical scholars talking about how books of the Bible are not direct historical accounts can be something that pisses people off. But I think they are usually a lot more thoughtful about how they talk about that than by saying
0: it's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> right, IRL. Fantasy. Well, that's also like R- RPF.
3: <laughs> one of the, I mean, one thing I, I guess I should mention about Canticle is that it's also quite funny. Nice. Mm. Um, like particularly the first like third of it is kind of very comic. Um, and like this is kind of the adventures of this bumbling like well-meaning monk and the abbot who refuses to believe that he's found like the significant thing that relates to their saint, right, Labowitz. <laughs> uh, and, um, but there's sort of a sequence where the, the secular scholar keeps being like, well, like, I don't know if this is going to offend people's religious beliefs. And then all the monks are like, no, like we know it's not like Genesis is literal, <laughs> you know, like we all understand this. Right. Uh, which I think is kind of char- like, it's, it, you know, it's charming that that's sort of mm-hmm. the foundation of this stuff for me, because I think people, I, I, I don't know like what, um, I'm forgetting the author's name. Um, I don't know what, like, you know, religious perspective he has or background, but I think it is really easy to be condescending towards religious people. It's like, oh, you have to, like, if you believe in God, you believe in the Bible. as like this literal thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just doesn't do that, right? Yeah. And that's nice.
0: Uh, Walter M. Miller Jr. Yes, that's
3: right.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, Oh, apparently a sequel was published posthumously in 1997.
2: Oh Almost okay. Exactly yeah. So I knew
0: 40 years later. So you know wow. it's good. <laughs> <laughs> hey.
3: Yeah, I, I mean I was curious about cuz I I mean I saw like on on Goodreads or whatever that it was number 1, you know. And so I was like, "Oh, I guess there's more of these." But Huh. Yeah, Apparently actually... you
0: can't badmouth posthumous work when we have a Tolkien podcast starting mm. that we're recording today. I can po- badmouth plenty of posthumous work. <clears throat>
2: When we're about to record a uh, fucking Tolkien podcast, I'm sure the Silmarillion is good. I have low expectations for anything other than the Silmarillion. The twelve
0: books of like weird, like errata and, and, and dra- various drafts of different things and all that stuff. That whole like twelve book. I mean, I bet series. that stuff
3: is fine. It's just not like a book mm. <laughs> in the same <laughs> way that like Lord of the, of the Rings a, is. Like the Silmarillion was something that. Yeah, the Silmarillion came out, like, a year after he died, right? So I imagine that was in, like, some yeah. shape of being finished,
2: right? I did not I did not, not realize. Of... I should look up, like, when... I, I should look up, like, The Hobbit was published in, like, know, 1939. I knew that one. I didn't know where... The rest of them were in the... The, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was in the 50s, I want to say. I should look up I think when that's right, Yeah, things happened so I can have, like, a rough idea of how this goes.
0: 1977 was when the Silmarillion came out, so...
2: What a 70s book. <laughs> look
0: at that cover. That's wild. That's a
2: good, that's a good cover for the silver Million they've got on Wikipedia. And there. also,
0: uh, it was four years after Okay. Alkentai. Not that that matters. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. For some reason, I had by that By the way,
1: I, uh, I did just like... Pretty wait, short look after, though. I did just look at uh, Walter Miller Jr.'s Wikipedia page, and I learned two things that I think are both very interesting. One is, A Canticle for Leibowitz* is a fix-up novel.
3: Oh. oh, you know that makes sense like i it does, but that is I didn't yeah. expect
1: that because it's it's so famous as a novel, um, so it's surprising to me to learn that mm-hmm. but but apparently it is
3: yeah well that's that's also one of the things is that the first section of the novel like they're sort of separate into three parts, right which I would imagine are like the three mm-hmm. stories, yeah, but may might be different than that um, and the first part takes place like four hundred years before the second mm. part uh according to um, Wikipedia,
0: it's called Fiat you know. Homo <laughs> Yeah. Yes, there that's true. Yeah. I knew I could get yeah, it that. <laughs> That's a Sorry really good a title.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like it is really funny, but it's also a really fucking good like cuz it's like it means let there be man in the same way that like let there be light is like a biblical phrase.
3: Well, yeah, and that's the yeah, next the, section, the next... right? When they have like the light bulb and stuff is Fiat yeah, Lux. Yeah. So, you know, that's cool. Yeah. It's doing it's doing stuff.
1: But also It's neat. Let there be a homo. That's also good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing gay about a bunch of men living together reading Uh, books. Nothing.
1: That's true.
2: Drinking beer.
1: That's (laughs) that's so true.
2: Chanting in Latin. (laughs)
0: Reading, writing, and drinking.
1: Take me back. (laughs) Uh, That's um, the other interesting thing that I learned from Hiller's Wikipedia page is that after... uh, Bombing, like, Italian abbeys in World War II, which was, like, an intensely traumatic experience for him, he converted to Catholicism. Uh,
3: oh, that is... Yeah. Wow. Right? I think that is, like, I... Um, so, I, I lived in Germany for a couple of years, and in Dresden there was a very famous cathedral um, that was, you know, bombed out during the um i mean the trusted firebondies right right? and um i know that like it was rebuilt after the wall fell i don't know why it wasn't rebuilt before then but um you know and a bunch of like veterans like donated to the funds to get it rebuilt right and stuff like that so i think there is like a generational yeah i mean obviously Mm. on multiple sides right but like of soldiers who felt a lot of distress and regret about, like, how a lot of this stuff happened and mm-hmm. was
2: handled, you know? Yeah. Um,
3: yeah,
1: it's a... Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I was going to say something <laughs> totally unrelated, so you go. I was just going to say, it makes a lot of sense that that would be part of the background of the author of A Canticle for Leibowitz. Um
3: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's like, that. I mean, that really like makes I mean, it makes it a book i'm not to be like a 24 about it but it's like makes it a book about trauma in a way that i didn't even think about yeah right
2: um so um yeah also I, we're just continuing to scroll as wikipedia i just noticed um so he um was very nearly finished with the um with the the sequel in 1997 when he passed like it came out like a couple months after he died because someone just came in and like touched up the last couple things that he hadn't been able to oh, okay so cool, cool. yeah so it, it's not like it's not like oh we found this manuscript in his in, in a trunk like five years after he died and we like did it like he was actively working on it in the 90s and like um was almost ready to put it out when he passed. So it's probably it's probably better okay. than I was giving credit for a moment ago.
1: <laughs> I do think it's I do think one yeah. can reasonably ask uh, questions about what's going on with the sequel to a super famous book that came out in 1959. That it, the sequel being written in the 90s, uh, especially
0: <laughs> when that just recently happened with that other famous yeah book. Uh, I think where it
2: goes to a Watchmen. Oh, I think um, you're yeah. sort of like. I mean I have no affection for tequila mockingbird In my heart and But other people were deeply upset about that whole situation What if
0: it was tequila mockingbird
2: Shut the fuck up When did you become like a tiktok wine mom
0: <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about Why are you being so mean to me
3: I, I, um, As someone who's on tiktok Nora I don't think being a tiktok Wine mom is a bad thing
0: <laughs> well, I'm just That's saying I don't weird. have to take this From like someone in, who
3: puts ice like cubes in her wine <laughs>
1: Damn autumn.
3: <laughs> Listen, a girl's got a drink. <laughs> um uh, so I read another book. Do tell uh while we were moving, if we could if you want to talk about yes. that. Um so I read the The Underground Railroad by Colton Whitehead. Um from twenty sixteen. Okay, I was like, uh, I remember
2: when this book came out. I don't think I've yeah, read it, it's but also,
3: I but I do remember it. I was it this year or last year did that amazon prime series come out Uh, oh yeah that that was was pretty recent i think
0: that was this year yeah i think it
3: was this year yeah um so yeah basically i was at my dad's house complaining about reading stephen king and being like i need to read a good book uh this was a few months ago and then he like put the underground rail into my hands like this is a great book and you should read it (laughs) and so it's like okay um and yeah it's pretty good i think um it's basically, it's like a slave narrative, right? There's some in it, the, I'm actually, I don't know if I want to spoil the thing here. Cause I kind of like, I don't know mm. in it. The, the underground railroad is literal. It's an actual railroad. Um, and that's sort of the like, and so there's sort of a, like alternate history bent to it. Um, but it's very subtle and there's this really great like implication that um that nobody knows if the Underground Railroad is like for real. Mm-hmm. That like people are like, oh, it's just a metaphor. Right? Mm-hmm. Um or like white people are like, oh, it's just a metaphor, but it's actually like a real railroad. So there's sort of this interesting, like, oh, maybe, you know, like it, it ties huh. into the real world in a kind of interesting way. Um Yeah, I don't know. I, I would like to read more criticism of it. I think in some ways it like Thema- i don't know i i am not like the person to ask in some ways about this novel because it's you know extremely about like black trauma and um all this stuff right um and i think in some ways it covers like really well-worn ground there um but i think it's also really forceful and direct you know way that like this this st- books like this that i read in high school were not mm. you know Um, It's, like, fundamentally really condemnatory of, like, the American project and has a lot of, like, ways in which that rolls out, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, yeah, I I mean, I don't know. And I think also it's just really, like, stylistically strong. It's really lean. Like, it's, like, 306 pages, but it feels massive. Like, it has – there's a lot of space in the writing, which I think is really tricky to do when you don't actually have a lot of space, right? Like, it's not a long book, but it feels really generational. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think it's... I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I have, like, a super big takeaway. Um, but I think it's a good book.
2: Nice. It seems really interesting, and it also seems very, like, 2010s in a way that I'm like... Yeah. I. It's the sort of book where I, like, want a friend of mine to tell me, oh, this is good and worth reading before I, like for sure yeah <laughs> you know? I, right no i i think i definitely get that
3: and i think also there is like um i feel like this is kind of an unfair well not maybe not unfair but i was thinking a lot about i also i read song of solomon last year i think mm-hmm. maybe two years ago the tony morrison novel um which is not about slavery oh okay right but it's sort of a, i was like
0: oh i've read that one before but no you meant yeah a different
3: yes yeah yeah um well, also, it's it's interesting for a Toni Morrison novel. I I I think. I mean, I have not read a lot of Toni Morrison. This is the one thing of hers I've read. Um, in that it's kind of about men, right? Which like is not true of like Beloved or sort of the more, like, famous works or other famous works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, the thing about Song of Solomon is I think it does a lot of the stuff Underground Railroad does, but then is also like really poetic in a way I feel like Underground Railroad is not um like and i don't think this is not a bad thing it just is like it's really direct and it's like yeah like slavery and capitalism it doesn't really use the word capitalism right but sort of this stuff the interconnected white supremacist project of america right is really really evil <laughs> is kind of the point of the book right, right? and i'm like yeah I totally agree with you, (laughs) you know, and it doesn't mean, like, I don't, I, I don't, yeah, so I don't, it's not so much, there was a point in it where I was like, I don't, like, what is the point of this book? Right. And I really got over that by the end, and I think it, I think the ending of it is really smart and really, um, like, it ends in a way that feels both hopeful and devastating, and I think it's, like, the perfect tenor for it, um, and, uh, you know but yeah i don't know it didn't quite um yeah i don't know like a four-star book for me i guess is the the way i'd put it it's it's really interesting and i think it's worth reading um but i also think it like if you've read these kind of stories before and like are politically in kind of these spaces right Mm -hmm. you like know what the shape of this book is going to be and that's not a bad thing but it's just like what it is if that makes sense
4: Oh. cool. Yeah, oh.
1: y- yeah. Um, so what I read was last night I finished Elantris at maybe like 10 o'clock. And I was just like, I'm bored and I'm bored and I, <laughs> I want to read something else. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, I just like I started looking at the at Brandon's like annotations for Elantris because that was just the next thing in my mind. And I got so exhausted of those (laughs) so quickly. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, oh, God, I don't actually need to read these now. It's probably worse for the podcast if I read these now. And, like, they're making me just, like, this sucks. I need something to wash this taste out of my mouth. So I immediately tweeted on Locked saying, like, what's something better I can read? And then within the next 30 seconds, before, like, three people replied to me with good books I should read, I was like, oh, right. I should read Superpose, that comic that I've had in a tab for like three months and haven't gotten around to yet. Um so I did. I read all of the webcomic Superpose that currently exists, and it's really fucking good. Um it's uh it's a like a, a science fiction comic set in nineteen eighty X, uh in um like a imaginary city called Port City which I think is probably somewhere on, like, the Jersey coast. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I'm just going to, like, read the little description that they have on their website because I think it's a really good, like, capsule description to tell you, like, the premise. Um, Superpose is a sci-fi drama taking place in a warm pocket of the mid-Atlantic in a town called Port City, a place out of time. A tourist destination boasting a popular beach and boardwalk, Port City is also home to Roman Labs, an aerospace-turned-tech company floundering in the wake of the tech boom. This is where Raphael, recently graduated without prospects, and Royal, desperate business school dropout, grew up, and Cass, unsung astrophysicist with something to prove, will beach themselves here on on its shores. Port City is where they put into motion something to shake the town and their lives from standstill. Changing history begins with the machine. Um, so it is, Hell yeah, um, yeah it's about these, like, three trans people, um, two of whom are, like, trans men, and the other one is, mm-hmm. um, this is not, like, explicitly stated in the comic, but I'm pretty sure that Cass is a gender. Um, and, uh, like, basically, uh, you know, Royals' father owns this, like, tech company that is kind of failing, and... Manages basically is like, Hey, uh, dad, I don't want to go back to business school. I want to try to like do something. And Royal's father is like, All right, have the company. I'm gonna disappear and not talk to you for months. And then I'm gonna come back and be intimidating and ask you what you're doing. And Royal is like, Ah, fuck. I guess I'm gonna make a teleporter. Um,
4: <laughs> 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 um
1: and, uh, Raphael is like this. He he's like kind of like the fixer for his family so like he's literally that people are always getting him to like fix their ovens and fix their cars and stuff and they're also always relying him on him to babysit and it's like oh i can pay you 40 dollars for this but i don't have it right now can i get it to you next week and stuff like that um and like his dad's in jail and his cousin's dad is in jail and uh his cousin is kind of like getting back in touch with his dad and Raphael is like, Oh my God, don't do that. Um, and while all this is going on and Raphael's life is like really tough and his like two best friends are probably about to go to college and like, he's not, um, he kind of stumbles into working at, uh, Roman labs where they're building this teleporter, basically like, He initially is just supposed to be, like, moving boxes in the basement, like, as the kind of odd job that he does, but maybe paid a little better. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, like, uh, he has, like, a chance interaction with Cass, this, like, star astrophysicist that Royal has hired. And it's like, wait a minute, you're actually really, like, insightful about this kind of thing. We don't want you to just move boxes. We want you to help us. And Raphael is like, uh, okay, okay. I mean, it might be nice to have a real job that will pay me and that definitely won't actually do a background check. Um, Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Cass is like this, you know, um, this like, uh, like Persian Arab. So like, I guess, mixed race. I I don't know if that would technically be called mixed race, but like families from two different backgrounds. Right. Um, uh, Like Wunderkind, who like attended Oxford at 14. And has been, like, trying to do all this astrophysics stuff. But uh, it's kind of tough when you are an a gender question mark, Iranian punk with, like, a serious um, visual disability. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that is kind of why when, like, Royal tracks them down through a BBS and is like, hey, please come help me make this technology that I can't even tell you what it is. Akas is like, you know what? Yes, I will cross the Atlantic and join your weird plan. Um, and it is about them making a teleporter, um, but it's also, like, just about these three people whose lives are all kind of going nowhere, and the three of them collectively groping their way towards the concept of maybe their lives going somewhere, maybe via teleportation, um, (laughs) uh, and there's just a lot of stuff in it that's really, like, um, Really, like, emotionally real and, like, um, very, uh, I would say, honest about the ways in which it can suck and be really frustrating to be transgender without it being, like, kind of easy and simplified and, like, just about, like, here's transgender trauma and I've made it, like, that's what my story's about and it's on the page. Um, And also without being, like bleak like i think one thing that's interesting is that this is in the 80s and it is like the 80s it's you know it's like 1980x but it's not like a it's not like this is like an alternate 80s where being trans is okay but at the same time it's also not the alternate 80s that i would say like the vast majority of 80s set media is set in where trans people literally don't exist um so like you know you uh there's um there's one bit that i that I liked a lot where uh we see uh royal uh like taking his h r t and it's this like i forget the name of the drug, but there's like a comment under the comics page which is like yeah, this drug was originally developed to treat endometriosis and then it fell out of use because of its masculinizing effects and so it's like yeah, I don't think he's necessarily going to a doctor to get that. Or if he is, maybe it's technically speaking to treat endometriosis or something like that, right? And this is just one of those things where it's like, yeah, people have been doing HRT long before it became like an accepted medical institution, you know? Um, right.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, for sure.
1: Anyway, really cool comic. Um, I want to like actually mention the creators because they're just like, you know. Independent trans internet creators, so I want to like explicitly uh, shout them out. Um, the artist, uh, oh, I, I don't know that I don't want to presume that this is a, a comic that follows a totally straightforward like artist writer division, but I know one of them does the drawing. Um, the artist is at uh, Saint underscore Vagrant on Twitter, um, and uh, his I'm pretty sure his name is uh, Joseph. Um, mm-hmm. and then the writer um is named Anka and is at kingfisher underscore cove um so yeah, check out superpose. I think it's really, really good. It definitely um like refreshed me after
3: Elantris yeah that sounds i mean that's also i think a sort of an interesting thing that you didn't quite touch on, but it seems like is part of that there's this tension between technology is liberatory and technology is oppressive yeah
1: no absolutely yeah um
3: that seems really i think that is resonant with sort of trans issues right in this like hrt specifically in that way that seems really cool
1: yeah yeah um yeah it's interesting like one of the things that happens pretty early on in the comic is that um royal fires a ton of people And, like, I don't think that the comic is, like, yeah, this is, like, cool, like, uh, tech boss behavior. Like, Royal is, like, moving and shaking. But at the same time, it's also pretty clear that, um, that he would not be able to do this weird teleporter shit that he's doing if he hadn't done something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, but yeah, no, I think the, the, the way that the comic is talking about, like, a tech company is both, like, very interested in what that can mean as, like, a a site of possibility but also very conscious of the ways in which actually that really sucks
3: Mm. yeah Um, also I just if I can like do a quick shout out uh, I read this book last year called The Vanishing Half um, Mm -hmm. by Britt Bennett which was I think a book that got a lot of attention I think there was like an HBO miniseries coming out Um, but anyway one of the characters is a trans man and I think it is really interesting the way it handles that stuff. Um it's a really cool book. It's like a generational uh story about like blackness and, you know, um and I think it goes I think that it ends in the 80s. I think it's like 50s through the 80s. Um, is like the time frame of it. Anyway, really cool book. I don't want to like say too much about it, but it's really neat. Nice. Um
0: well, yeah. um I'm sorry to um Unwashed mark. <laughs> no,
1: I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Like that—that that was the purpose. Perv- if I just had to go like straight through the night without doing anything other than a I'd be exhausted now. But now I'm like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> like I know there's, I know there's <laughs> other kinds of SFF in the world, so I'm prepared to go back to this one.
0: <sighs> we finished the original version. Of Elantris. Yes. Yep. There is material we have that we will read next episode and discuss um, that Mark does not have yet. We will have to get that yeah. to you. Um, and then, of course, after that, we still have the novella or short story. Short which, story. Short story. Short story. Hope short of Elantris, story. which will be its own single episode. Mm. Um, and also, alongside that, there is the um, Chris's letter. Which is the intro? Well, we'll talk about it.
1: There's a bunch of there's a bunch of shit. There's,
0: there's ancillary material. The because that when will be covered. The hope of Elantris was put into Arcanum Unbounded, which is the compilation of all the short stories and novell- novellas and etc cetera, et cetera, um, They are accompanied. They are grouped by setting, and each one is accompanied by like in universe, like. Page of notes about the setting. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which mm-hmm. is like just here's some objective facts about the way the setting is that does not come up in the actual novel all the time. That might not come up or be explicitly stated in the actual uh, story itself. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of it's like astrophysics, if I remember right. I've read this there. There is like I'm, you know talk so about mean. Cosmere standard for planet sizes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all <laughs> yeah, right. There are men- um but anyway that will be weird the hope of elantris yeah today we are talking about chapters 61 through 63 of elantris as well as the epilogue which will close out the original publication of elantris i want to say real quick
2: yeah it turned out to be good that i did not uh that i accidentally didn't read chapter 60 last week because from chapter 60 to the end of the book the narrator does not provide like chapter breaks they're they're in my file. If I was paying attention, I would know where the chapter breaks are, but the narrator does not read them. So I, as we do this, might get a little out of order a little bit um, because he just starts reading it straight through. It doesn't
0: say chapter 62, se- chapter 63. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
3: And that's... That's probably also true for me because I read this like in January.
0: <laughs> so you were you were prepared yeah. to be here.
3: Yeah, well I I I listened to all of Ars Arcanum up to that point, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna finish this novel. I don't need to wait. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to go through this like this trial. That's,
0: yeah um that's
1: very reasonable, honestly. i I would be yeah. I hope that other people are not really following along with the podcast like reading three chapters of elantris every week that sounds like an unpleasant experience people I mean, are
2: yeah, doing think it, it is. and i
0: it's the wrong choice you all need
2: to just go read mistborn next week <laughs> what about the yeah. hope of
0: elantris what if they want to read along okay. with the hope of elantris
2: go read mistborn two weeks from now <laughs> you know i will say i am hope of elantris
3: fine okay Okay. And it's like tw- it's like twenty pages, and it's kind of cute. Okay. You know. Okay. Also, which is more than you could say for anything in a
1: <laughs> Okay, audience, so. I, I. realize this is also on me because I talked for a long time about stuff in the first segment, but let's get moving because I actually have to get to work. In like. Okay.
2: Oh yeah, no worries. No, 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 it's okay.
1: Let's just read the summaries.
2: Yep. Um, Nora, can you get me to chapter sixty-one here?
0: I'm working on it.
2: To Aventio's horror, Diloph begins cutting Sereni's throat. Hraithan, finally deciding to act, hits Diloph. Regaining balance, Diloph jabs the knife at Hraithan's chest, the blade sliding off his armor. Armor that was supposedly for show. We are still in the weirdly constructed sentences. Uh, on Coppermine. Hraithan is satisfied in telling Diloph nothing uh, he does for show. No. Hraithan is satisfied in telling Diloph nothing he does is for show, shortly before smashing his steel forearm into Diloph's face. Uh, warning of Intio of Fiordel's coming invasion, Hraithan shoves Serini down an alleyway and blocks it with his own body. The pool beckons for Raiden to give himself up. He rejects it, uh, bursting from its entrance to a surprised Galadon and Karada. They all race down the mountain go- back to Kai. Uh, Shuden finally re- retaliates And Lucel joins the fray But they are ultimately overwhelmed Hraithan holds down his di- uh, <laughs> Hraithan <laughs> holds his zone <laughs> <laughs> Against her- the Dakor monks admirably, just barely There is a commotion Beyond the monks as uh, Eventio's honor guard joins the battle Serini indicates an open door uh, They both duck into They find a cellar to hide in While the Dakor monks follow th- And leave again uh, emerging from the cellar, Hraithan removes his armor, call- calling it a burden of his, uh, he no longer deserves. Sereni questions why he didn't, and Hraithan simply says, Diloth is evil, and a massacre does not serve Jadith. Uh, at the foot of the mountain, Raiden picks up a stick and draws a long line out behind him. Uh, meanwhile, Kar- Galadon and Karada protect Raiden from Fiordel guards. In their efforts, Galadon is lanced, uh, in the body and Karada beheaded, but Raiden finishes the line. Light explodes from the ground, and the power of the door washes away his pain. The city uh, the city complex of Elantris and its outer cities is one big aeon that needed to, the chasm line to complete it. Raiden walks from the light anew, ordering the Fiordel soldiers to leave Aralon. All around Elantris, the effects are felt, and the Elantrians emerge from the pyres unharmed. Raiden arrives, destroying one Dakor monk and demanding
0: that the other leave. The king is reclaiming his rightful throne and his divine right to rule. (laughs) At at some point, it might be
2: upon finishing that line, um, Brandon just starts referring to Raiden as the king repeatedly Mm -hmm. through these three chapters.
1: (laughs) I forgot about that. Oh my god. (laughs) It's it's a lot, yeah. Yeah.
2: It is Um, somehow both Jesus and Aragorn. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, I mean that's already the.
3: <laughs> Although apparently, I, reportedly, I, I think I've heard that J.K. J.R.R. Tolkien was against uh, naming it Richard the King. He thought it was a little too blunt, but huh. uh, I don't know if that's the case. The whole thing with Aragorn is
0: also like that's one aspect. It's it's Gandalf, yes, Aragorn, yeah. and Frodo are all the three different. What is it? The threefold. Yes, office? for sure.
3: It's not. It's not like. Oh my
1: god! You have a um, different yeah, podcast for this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sorry, um, I also haven't read. It's these my lists, fault. So. I, I I wanted to say that um, I think there's kind of an interesting thread here. The idea that the magic is like inextricably tied to like the landmass to the geology. Of it, I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if the book was about I that? Know, what right? if?
2: Uh, ah. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be a yeah. nice little change?
1: <laughs> I I also uh, I find it so frustrating I, that it's like I like if the book didn't spend so much time. Like, just walking us through every little step of figuring out what the magic is. Like, if we figured out, oh, the magic is connected to the land. The chasm has broken the magic in, like, I don't know, chapter 10. Like, maybe this resolution could have been a little bit more interesting and less rushed. Because, like, I cannot fucking Mm -hmm. believe that he drew a line in the dirt with a stick. (laughs) (laughs) And that fixed it. Because it's like, this entire city is built as an Aeon. Like, it's not just, like, lines in the dirt that make the city an Aeon. It's, like, walls and fortifications. And I think it's really strange that just drawing one line is enough to, like, complete it. Like, drawing it in the well, dirt. Yeah, and then
3: you even have, like, a- because uh, a, then you would have, like, a timer thing, too, where it's like, oh, we have to get the city back together before- The line
1: is scuffed out, Yeah. Know. Yeah.
3: With line skip that or or like before the invasion happens, right? Like that's Oh yeah, if it know. had
1: yes, they they could
4: have yeah. No, there's yes. all kinds of yeah. Hmm.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's easy to I think with this book it's very easy to be like, what if it was good?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and <laughs> and that. The, yeah. No. <laughs> but it just
3: feels like at, at every turn Brandon makes
0: the wrong choice. Yeah. At every turn. Um, he really thinks th- this is a good book though. Yeah. I I was reading the postscript, which is him like ten years later reflecting on Elantra. Okay,
1: again, we've got a different podcast for that. Um, I just. Uh,
4: okay.
2: Um. Otherwise, I, the Hrathen and Sereni stuff is just like sort of actiony and. I, I maybe don't have a ton to say about it until we get to, like, the next two chapters here. Um,
1: I think it's very funny that we're expected to still believe that Hrythin's armor is for show, even though we've been hearing this entire time about how heavy it is. And, like... Yeah, right! <laughs> like, there was, like, one thing early on in the book where Serini reflected, like, oh, obviously that is, like, a, a sort of light decorative armor, because nobody would actually be wearing, like, this kind of absurd, like, battle tool just like around the court. Um that was just something Cerini thought once at the very beginning of the book. And so to have it be like a reveal now is like what? <sighs>
2: um do you have anything about chapter sixty one Nora? No? Okay.
1: Um uh, I also kind of want to just briefly mention that uh Shuden has magic martial arts and he gets to use them for like a paragraph before losing. Yeah. And it's it's bad. It's like it's. Oh. And he
2: glows. Yeah, it's. Uh, it just. It,
1: yeah, because it, he's magic. It sucks. <laughs> it's not interesting. Um, but, I guess I just wanted to mention it partly because the fact that Shuten can also use some kind of magic is like I guess relevant, and also because like I just wanted to point out that we're continuing to do the same like boring, Orientalism with Shuten as always. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And this is in more in later chapters, but it is kind of nothing here and then just explicitly made into like a sequel hook, basically. Yeah. Which is weird because it's, you know, 15 years later and he still hasn't written this damn sequel. <laughs> um, yeah. Chapter 62? Yeah, all right. Yeah, let's hit
1: Soythan makes plans to smuggle Sereni out of Teod on a merchant's ship under the impression that Diloth will follow her and spare Teod. unlike Dooladell. Krathin exposes him to the guilt of his own past atrocities before he is murdered by Fion. Who's Fionn? Don't worry about it. Trying to revive Kraythan, Sereni is interrupted by a group of a group of decor monks and Diloth, drawn by the commotion of the surrounding crowd. As Raedin finishes healing Lukel, Ash comes to inform Raedin that Teod is under attack and that Sereni is there hurrying up a wall, Ash shows Raodin which direction Teod is in. He begins to draw Aeon-Tia, t- the transportation Aeon, but is reluctantly dissuaded by Galadon's warning of its dangers that without knowing the exact distance, Aontia could kill the user. Fortunately, Adian appears of sound mind now, and quotes the and quotes the exact distance and steps to Teod, using Adian's stride as measurement, Raiden modifies Aontia and teleports himself to Teod. <sighs> Moments later, a spray of light collides with one of the decor monks. Rayadin disables Diloph and grabs hold of Serini, transporting them 50 feet away from the monks, forgetting that Aeons grow weaker away from Elantris. Attempting to escape, Rayadin and Serini flee down the docks until they spot King Aventeo. but a little too late as they are unable to outrun the abnormally fast monks. Rayadin readies himself to attack, but Diloph is content on allowing backup to arrive. With a small army of monks, Diloph begins his offense, believing Rayodin will be unable to draw his aeons fast enough to combat all of the monks at once. Suddenly, a group of Elantrians, led by Galadon, teleport onto the docks and launch a barrage of power against the monks. Knowing he has few options remaining, Diloph scrambles down an alleyway away from the battle to hunt down King Aventeo, the leverage he knows will draw Serini to him. Serini notices and urges Rayodin to pursue. Diloph ambushes, disarms, and wounds Rayodin. Forgotten, Sereni surprises Diloph, attacking him with a sword she found. However, she is unable to keep up with the monk's superior physical abilities, and she suffers a wound to the shoulder. As both lay defeated, Hraithan surprises all by appearing. He blocks Diloph's attack with a Dahor magic-enhanced arm, then uses the same arm to choke Diloph to death before Hraithan succumbs to his wounds. Galadon arrives to report that the Teo Armada is holding out against the Fjordal.
0: So... You remember Fionn from chapter three when uh, uh assumes command of the uh of the the church of Shudareth and he orders the original uh head Artef back home. Yeah. You you won't Where remember are
2: Why are there so many random sequel hooks in these last couple chapters?
1: I know, it's so weird Because Fiona's
2: like Fiona's like Well, I just don't know how Wern would possibly have known this. It's like, Wern had some sort of magic. God moves in mysterious ways. Anyway, see you next time in the Assassin's uh, Monastery in the next book. <laughs>
1: uh. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, I can't believe. Yeah. This is like skipping ahead a little bit, but I cannot believe Wern never appears in this fucking book. I know!
3: <laughs> uh, Does- <laughs> what was also like, it's. Like just hearing you read that description, I think really casts into relief like how much of the actual content of the novel happens in like these last like nine chapters, yeah, or, yes, or whatever. Yeah, it's been so and, packed,
1: uh, and it's uh, and I think that's, go on.
3: yeah. The thing is that it's not, it, I you know, is it the Brandon Avalanche? Is that what he calls it the annotations? <sighs> Sand, <Yeah>. God. <laughs> Um, but just like I, you know, I, I think it is cool with I think a slow burn or a novel that builds to suddenly like have like something major happen and then everything sort of castades down from that can be really interesting. This is not what that is. No. It does not feel constructed no. in that way. I mean, right? Like,
1: honestly, it um, really does feel because like, I think I like, it feels like so much of what's happening in these ending chapters could have been spread out more evenly across the rest of the book, and then maybe the rest of the book wouldn't have been so goddamn boring.
3: Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. But, like... So... So, Adium.
1: Oh my god, so yeah, wow. So we
0: do have to talk about this. He was secret Elantrian the whole time. They were hiding it with makeup. And he Was Hoed the whole time? Hoed. Question mark? Yeah. But also, like, it
1: sounds as though...
2: Uh Uh-huh. It
1: sounds as though he has always been in some way neurodivergent because he has always had this uncanny ability to calculate exact distances in his head.
2: So, yeah. Brandon, in, like... YouTube videos and interviews and stuff, uh, has talked about, um, there's a character in a later book who, uh, has autism and he's talked about, like, part of the reason he wanted to write that character is that he felt like he did an unfortunate caricature of what autism is in Elantris. He has owned up to the fact that this is, like, just... A a bad representation of what autism is like, and the at the, the end of Elantris is that the day is saved by a magic cure for magic autism, yeah. like, and and yeah. he is owned up to the fact that all that sucks. It him owning up to it does not take away from the fact that it fucking sucks.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I want
2: to
1: go go on. I,
3: sorry, Mark. You... Okay, just uh, like I feel like a lot of this um, rings. Like, there is a—and th- I'm sure this is true, through like, throughout a lot of, like, evangelical Christianity, in particular Christianity in general, but I think there is a a um, fraught and ableist relationship between, like, the resurrection and autism and neurodivergence and disability sort of in general, mm-hmm. where um, the idea that, like, these are things that you can be healed from and that you will be, like, normal, like the rest of us— right mm-hmm. i i think the the st- elantris obviously is pulling from that in a big way right that this scene of everyone being sort of rejuvenated right for me it's impossible not to think of like the resurrection yeah. mm-hmm. the elantrians right? and then that
1: the elantrians are totally like in incorruptible bodies now like they, that's just yes true. exactly
3: which is
0: like <laughs> and also
3: right which is like also like a lot of mormon doctrine is a big emphasis on like god has a body a flesh and a flesh and bone not blood <laughs> this is a huh. thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um yeah, there's anyway, there's like shit here. But um and um you know, and that like someday we will have bodies like God does, right? And that gets tied up in whiteness, mm-hmm. which is obviously a thing in elantris too, right? And um you know, so yeah, so I just think like there is a lot of like theological baggage that Brandon is directly importing into this book. There's also
0: the fact that Adian um, goes over t- and joins the the pile of Elantrians and then is reborn. Yes, it's like literally, yeah. ha- it goes down and lies down with the dead, and then is is rejuvenated and returns. Yes, from uh, right. Yeah. Something yeah. I'm really
1: something I'm curious about. Um, so, in my copy, which uh, listeners will recall is, like, the, like, original text, not, like, the 10th tenth anniversary slightly revised edition. When yes. Adian, like, shows up at just the right moment, um, there's a, there's the use of a phrase that, that I think is essentially a slur. Um, like... Technically speaking, Brandon is not using the version of the R slur that like got thrown around on forums. Still gets thrown around on forums, but <laughs> he does use like the the slightly longer version, right, of the R slur that like right. is slightly more, I guess, clinical or whatever. Does he use that right. word in your copy?
2: I, I certainly don't recall it, and I feel like that would have jumped out to me in a huge way if it had happened,
0: so... Okay, I, um,
1: I, I'm I i not too surprised you, that he took that out, you,
0: but... Can you tell me what the... Yeah, what, so the, the paragraph,
1: paragraph is, Rayadin turned with surprise. Adian stood a short distance away, his skin shining with a silvery Elantrian...
0: Ah, yes. His eyes betrayed none of the mental affliction that had burdened him since birth. Affliction, okay. All yeah, right. Yeah, all right.
4: Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's I mean I guess that's better. Technically speaking, but it's really
1: not because he took out the word, right? But it is explicit Mm -hmm. that Adian has always had something wrong with his mind, a mental affliction. And now that he's now that his Elantrian transformation is complete, it's been cured. But The good part of it is still there. He can still count steps. And so it's, like, very, very explicit, like, to the extent that this is an autism metaphor. It's like, oh, we can cure the bad parts of your autism, but leave, like, the good parts where you have, like, savant abilities. And that's just, like, oh, my God.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah gross i I hate it. This is part one of an ongoing series, as I mentioned last week of uh, Brandon's magical mental illnesses and and various other yeah uh, things yeah so. well, I
3: think that that's um I mean, yeah, I' not to toot this horn too much, but I think that is like the way mental illness or um neurodiversity is talked about in Mormonism, at least in my experience, mm. is often like, oh, this is a a gift from God. You know, that is also a challenge, but that you will someday be free from, right, or whatever. And I think this is sort of the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, very uncritically being imported into this.
0: What this leads to is being able to specify the exact distance to be teleported. Um, But Uh, apparently,
2: this is Nightcrawler rules. I have
0: a question, though. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know like how far is that in miles
2: uh well, i don't think we we get a number of steps and i mean i, I think oh he uses that unit as yeah yes. it's like across so, the bay it, right like it's not too
3: far it's so
1: weirdly I, I think it's so weird how like specific and like um like i don't know uh banal <laughs> this this moment is as well like other than like the awful stuff about neurodivergence it's also just like the The thing that saves the day is knowing a precise measurement so that you can use the teleportation spell without accidentally teleporting into a wall and killing yourself, which is such a fucking like video gamey way of thinking about this. It has no like yeah. metaphorical or like uh, thematic content whatsoever. Yeah. It's literally about like calculating numbers and i can't believe that they even go to the extent of being like okay if it's this many steps then i need to measure your stride and calculate that out mentally to yeah. modify my ao and like we can't even I... we can't even just abstract and be like all right that many strides and like talk about measurements in the way right. that like a pseudo medieval society might like no it's all got to be like we got to know how many fucking hex squares on the map
0: it is <laughs> i was ju- i was asking because I wasn't clear on um whether the teleportation it moves which 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 one is it which axis is horizontal in 3D like forward it yeah. moves that axis but it doesn't adjust your vertical axis at all <laughs> so I was I was thinking like he what if it's What if it's like, oh, now I'm six feet higher than I was because the earth is round. I mean, the dude was also
1: on, like, a a wall, right? But he teleported to the ground. So, yeah, no, it's, you're so right. Like, we're getting so precise about the fucking horizontal measurements, but the vertical ones don't matter? Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) You need, if you're going to need that kind of, like, precise measurements, you should probably have, like, the vertical as well, because, like, that could mean anything. There, There is something deeply funny
2: to me about, um, all Raided has to do to teleport is just, like, draw something in the sky, and meanwhile, Diloph has to kill a whole dude. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah, well, he doesn't have the door, kind of. He- but he does, but he doesn't, but it's... Yeah. I
2: it's, guess... Sequel hooks. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
3: What was I? Uh, Well, I think that's also the thing is, we. I mean, you all have talked about this before. um, But like, I think this kind of like nitty gritty stuff can be really fun and sort of like an action scene way. Mm -hmm. Right. That it's like, oh, you know how many bullets are in the gun and he has to take out this many or whatever. Right. You can sort of like it's a way to build tension and things like that. Right. And I think Mistborn does that. In my memory, right? It's been many, many years since I've read it. Um, this is not, yeah, it just doesn't. There's no. It's just, it's not, yeah, it's just bad. I don't know what else to say about it's it. It's just, just not good. He
0: really needed a you way know? for Raynan to get to where the action scene is because he wrote the cool scene where the guy dies. But then he's like, yeah. well, shit, now we have to get everyone else over there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
3: for sure. And
0: the seemingly obvious thing. If you're writing this book, it would be like, oh, if only we had some, if I had some weird magic thing that I had never explained that I could pull out of my ass, like a magic pool that m- makes bodies disappear. What if it goes somewhere? What oh if you my God. wrote in some... <laughs>
1: I cannot believe, much as I'm so upset that Wern doesn't appear in this book, I cannot believe we don't find out what the pool is, and we're just left to assume... We're just left to assume that it is the fucking suicide pool. I... Uh... Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: I... Um, it's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to say what I want to say. I have some guesses based on future books, as to what that pool is. But never in a hundred years did I get to uh, did I think I would get to this, the end of this book without any more information about the suicide pool. I thought there would be something.
3: (laughs) Well, I think that's also the thing is like, I mean, you know, It's just not a novel that goes anywhere, really, and so there's all these sort of disparate threads that feel and are treated as, like, important things that are going to matter later in the book, and that just aren't, right? Right. Like, the... The suicide pool.
1: Yeah, it's like we're gonna we're gonna get the reveal um, and the, like the the follow up on Adian's like stupid step counting thing. We're gonna get the reveal and the follow up yeah. on Hraethen's armor and Hraethen's scarred arm, um, <laughs> or that yeah.
2: guy that Hraethen sent away sixty chapters ago.
1: <laughs> but we're never <laughs> yeah, gonna see yeah. Wern or find out what Wern is planning, and we're never gonna find out what's on the other side of the pool. Like, come on we're yeah. never gonna find out what sounds um, are
2: <sighs> this, this is in some ways a hallmark of Brandon's writing I feel like but in the rest of the books you can always just be like well he's got a sequel that's coming out next month you know aillustr <laughs> yeah. has gone 15 years without a follow-up and it Except feels for the, a the short story it, okay yeah.
1: I I have a question
2: yeah which is uh-huh. yeah. which
3: does not have any of this stuff in it to be clear not not to like spoil it yeah but it's like very yeah, yeah. it's not uh, it's not a continuation in that. So way, there's something you
1: know. that's that's kind of bothering me right now because, like, I do understand how in a series that is you know a little better planned out and uh, a little better like structured, you can have um, you know things about like what the kind of big villain might be planning or things about like what this magic concept is that aren't tackled in the first book of seven or whatever that that you mm-hmm. that make you anticipate the next book, but. Brandon kind of seems like he likes to string his series along forever. Is there a complete Brandon series where he ties it all up? Because, for example, my understanding is that he, like, finished Mistborn, and then he went back and did more Mistborn.
0: Well, his idea for Mistborn was always bigger than the first trilogy. Okay, He had a specific arc in mind because he wanted to write a fantasy setting that... Went from medieval fantasy through to space opera, and he, with the same magic system yes. and this like building on itself to, I guess, advance <laughs> the tech tree in that way. So Mistborn <laughs> and, has always been a larger concept, okay. and the the first Mistborn trilogy, I feel like, wraps
2: everything up in a nice little bow, and then says. And here's where we're going to go in the sequels. Okay, I, you know, like, like
1: uh, what, that's not what I'm asking, though. Has the yeah, man yeah, yeah, yeah. ever finished
0: no. anything? I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, Emperor's Soul is a self-contained thing. No! Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell is self-contained... What do you... Like?
1: Emperor's Soul can't be self... Because that's also Elantris shit, right? I want It's not. But it, it's... It, I it's mean, on it's on the it's, same it's,
2: planet, but it's It's its own, separate. own story.
3: Yeah, it's not I I read that also. Yeah. Okay. And All it is not right, like, it's very directly separate. related to okay, that. Anyway. Okay, okay,
1: okay. Yeah. Alright, um, fair enough. I just like basically I don't know. I this is kind of making me start to question how much I enjoy the concept of Brandon's whole magic systems thing, because the thing that part of what I always found appealing about that concept aesthetically was this idea of like completeness and mm-hmm. kind of internal consistency but if what he's actually doing is like almost like a 30s serial thing where at the end of every book there's going to be some new shit that gets you excited for the next like that doesn't actually feel Mm -hmm. like the thing that he's kind of selling it as you know
3: yeah so i ah, the thing is it's been it's been so long since i've read mistborn that i like um really cannot say that this is true but i remember there being sort of like like, the the end of the second book, for example, has a big hook for the next book. Um, I don't remember what it is. so But I remember it feeling like, oh, this is an expansion of what happened previously. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, like, it is pulling out the rug from underneath you to some degree, right? But it feels, like, I think a really good twist or a really good, like, play like that you think back to all this other stuff in the story that's like, oh, this was indicating that or, like, this deepens my, like, thematic understanding Mm. of the work and doesn't, you know, like, just, oh, now we're doing a different thing. Um, I really cannot say that's the case. I do think, though, that, like, um, it is easy to relate, like, this kind of interconnected universe stuff to, like, the MCU and things like that, right? And obviously... I mean IMO that stuff's bad like I, I'm not anti-lore necessarily but like you know I, I think the way that it is used to like cycle product
1: yeah is
3: bad I mean, something, you know and I think that is inevitably going to be part of what the thing is right because Brandon's a huge author. yeah like that's just like I know, mean part, part of what's of going it.
1: on here is I feel like again one of the things that like Brandon's writing is kind of sold on is this idea that Brandon's got a plan He's not actually just, yeah. like, laying the, um, you know, the tracks in front of him as he goes. Like, supposedly, he he had this whole plan for Mistborn from the beginning. And, like, that was his arc that he wanted to do. So when he finished the first Mistborn trilogy, it wasn't like he was just all of a sudden like, oh, shit, I want to do more of these. It was literally like, all right, that's that's always what he wanted. And I, I totally believe that. I'm not doubting the idea that, like, when Brandon comes up with a book series, he has this, like, super huge overarching like future timeline in mind um like that really does seem to be how he writes um but also like believing in that requires this sort of faith in the providence of brandon and i'm <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean the other thing is that he's written way like almost as many books as he's published that mm-hmm. haven't been published and that's like he is the the part that we see are um, he's done all of the building the tracks behind the stage already, mm-hmm. and he's like doing stuff and then like pulling it out and like fitting it into the puzzle, and then he goes back and he finds something that he's made and he kind of fits that into the puzzle, right? And he's like rearranging Why the pieces behind the screen before he puts them out which is i mean i think
3: there's also an element here that brandon it's not like james patterson levels of this right but he is sort of an industry unto himself yes right Mm, that like there is a bunch of people behind the scenes that are also like shaping this right yeah we Um, will yeah so i don't know i i think it i think this is sort of a weird element of this podcast is that um at least tentatively, y'all are fans, mm-hmm. and you are reading so- a book that is extremely bad first. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. The weirdest part is that you Mistborn know. is such a better introduction to what Brandon would go on to turn yeah. these well, things I think- into, but also Elantris is there as, like, this, like, the incredible Hulk of the MCU. Yeah. This uh, <laughs> <a> weird <laughs> yeah. first chapter that nobody really thinks about that much. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, and I will say, like, I—I I mean, I read the Emperor's Soul, which I think is like 2007. Is that mm, no? no it's I want to say 2009,
2: but not like—is it later? It's not okay. Super Never much, much later, I think. It was 2012. for some reason oh, oh. I thought
3: it was. Okay, for some reason I thought it was, like, suit. And that's, like, I mean, that has some issues and, like, it is Orientalist, like, fundamentally. Well, we,
0: we, but- we busted that out on this podcast and read his postscript for that because it was inspired by his time in Korea, right? Right, yeah.
3: yeah so the thing-, the thing about that postscript that is very funny to me is that the book is just about making art— Mm -hmm. like it's just about writing like writing a story writing a novel right it is about like the creation of like an artistic work and it's like brandon obviously you can relate to that you don't have to galaxy brain this (laughs) shit and make it like like oh i was in korea or blah or whatever yeah you know like it's just you could just be like oh yeah i this made me think about authorship in a particular way because that's what the book is about right anyway not to get too ahead of ourselves i'm sorry but like it's just i think it shows like you know, Brandon's Mormonism missionary shit is just all over this book and I assume it continues to show up. Yes. Right? Like, it's not yeah, going away. Yeah. Going oh, and, yes. And at
0: at a certain point, like, he does have an end point for all of this. Yeah. That he may or may not have written once or twice already. I think that was one of he the... He has written it twice already.
3: <laughs> you know, I'm curious because you can actually, um... I have a friend who read Brandon's Master's Thesis, which is like a novel. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Which because is, they, they just have it at the BYU library, right? So you can it's, just read it. It's out
2: there. It's online. You can just... Yeah. Back in the
0: day, you could get copies of the, like, prime versions of certain books if you just emailed his, yeah. like, assistant. And he he would allow people to just, hey, as long as you don't post this on the internet or talk about it on the internet and, like, share it, then, yeah, you can read this, like, old draft interesting. of, like, Dragonsteel or whatever. Yeah. He, he doesn't yeah. do that anymore now that he's in he industry. <laughs> yeah. But um, he did... Isn't there something about Way of Kings Prime, like, being out? Well,
2: yeah, or, so or Way of Kings was one of the few things that was not available in draft form, and he finally made it available in draft form when they did that Kickstarter for the leather-bound copies. Huh. So you can now go read a, a very different version of Way of the Kings. Yeah,
0: I, I imagine, like, knowing what I do about, like, that... The one decision at the beginning yeah. of the book that goes differently yeah. that, that drastically <laughs> changes the character in the story. Yeah. But anyway, point being, um, um that uh, somewhere it, there will come a day when the story is done. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean. Yeah.
3: In theory. Yeah. Unless like Brandon Sanderson too comes along after he dies to wrap it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do, I, I am very curious about like. I, I, at some point, the man's gonna complete the Cosmere, right? Like Raiden. Mm-hmm. he's gonna draw the final line.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. entire will all become gods. All, all
1: the all the books are gonna start glowing, and <laughs> um, and I don't know, like, what is he gonna do with his life after that?
0: I mean, he writes other stuff. He writes lots of other stuff besides the Cosmere. Sure. Like he yeah. has his whole yeah. superhero series. He has like the the kids' books that he writes. He has the, the YA uh space opera. Yeah. yeah. That he's working on.
1: So it's not that I genuinely think he won't be able to write any books or that, for example, it might be impossible for him to, I don't know, like take a break. Um Oh, actually, no, it, it might be impossible for him to take a break. He might not be that, yeah, that kind of person. that might actually
2: be impossible. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I know yeah. he's got, like,
1: stuff to do in his life, um, but yeah. it's just his career has been so focused around slowly building this enormous edifice that is the Cosmere, and it feels impossible to me.
3: Yeah. No, I I think I'm I think I'm with you, and I think that's part of. I mean, that's one of the things that I think makes this project interesting. Yeah. Is that, you know, by nature, you are drilling down to the nitty gritty in a way that, like, the novels are not intended necessarily to be read, <laughs> and also maybe is counter to that sort of grand vision of this complete, mm-hmm. like, this you know, great not like Dark Tower esque. Like picture of work right Brandon is like um, he's
1: he's like uh, You know building this enormous Cathedral and he's like you guys When it's done it's gonna be like It's gonna glorify God so much I mean I don't know that he necessarily <laughs> I don't know that he believes that about his fiction necessarily But I, I just it's right. hard for me not to think yeah, about it just... that way um, But <sighs> like We are coming in here in this like Half built building and we're like Okay what did you use to make these Bricks my dude
3: <laughs> yeah, well but I, the thing is I think I I guess I will say I think um like a running with this metaphor like a stained glass window or a misericord or a statue in a cathedral is a work unto yes. itself that is worth like examining. Yeah. And so even if even if we get to the cathedral at the end it was like man that kind of sucked. <sighs> Then there's still going to be, like, stuff that is good about it, right? That is, like, worth
2: This is This is something I was saying- I hope, anyway. This is the same thing I was saying to Nora last night, which is that, like, even if, like, uh, the next big Cosmere book comes out and it sucks- that will never take away from, like, The Way of Kings and Oathbringer to me. That'll yeah. never take away yeah, so from, like... I'm
0: the, I'm the Mistborn person when you're... What I
2: was about to say is, that'll never take away from Shadows of Self for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Um, well...
0: Okay, we talked about Mistborn and its being... then having a continuation. Like, Mistborn, the first three books, do feel very complete. Mm-hmm. There's literally one detail that out of place. hmm That you'd be like, oh, what's well what about that? And then there's a sequel. Yeah. Mm. But like thematically and like narratively it is all very wrapped up, yeah. I felt. Yeah. In the end. I cried reading that book. Yeah. Me too. On the toilet.
2: Well I didn't do that. <laughs> <for> that. <laughs>
3: um Regardless. Okay, do we want to move on to the next chapter? Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh
0: is there anything else? Oh. Uh do want, uh uh, uh, uh Rhaethan dies. Rhaethan, but first Rhaethan does the Darth Vader. Uh, Wait, uh, yeah. Hmm?
3: Okay. No, is Rhaethan dies this chapter or is it yeah.
1: the next yeah, chapter? He, yeah.
0: he dies twice okay. in this chapter.
1: Yeah, he gets like stabbed oh. in a way that's gonna kill him, but then he shows up later, dying of his wounds, but still alive enough to to kill D'Loth.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah, uh. yeah. he um he asks for Diloph for the you know. If this is an ambassador ship where's the ambassador and then snaps his neck and dies um yeah okay that's right yeah it's um i, th- I think
3: le- let's do the chapter the next chapter summary and then we could sort of wrap around to yeah Franklin's all right because, yeah Cause um,
0: you'll notice on this page that the summary for chapter 63 is minuscule <laughs> compared to the previous two <laughs> is insisted on not letting Raiden out of her sight until they are married. At the ceremony, Raiden's mind wanders during Father Omen's extensive speech. He worries that the Weirn may have found a way to access the door, and the Fjorn may have their own version of Dor. Stupid he, book. <laughs> he considers that there are various ways to access the door, as he considers Shuden's Che Shan used to defeat a decor monk single-handedly and with his eyes closed. The ceremony closes with Serenity hinting she's looking forward to the wedding night. And then the summary says... <laughs> that's the, the, God, summary that's here the adds, most Mormon thing ever. The summary oh. here adds... Cheeky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Cheeky.
0: <laughs>
4: this
2: book ends on Serenity being like, hey, you want to fuck Raiden? Now like, that well, we're married... It, and aren't, it, aren't, it, aren't
3: they... It, oh, is it that... And Raiden's... Is it that...
1: Sorry. Sorry, but also the last chapter of the sentence of the chapter, Raiden laughed his reply, wondering what he had gotten himself and Aerelon into by bringing Serini to Aerelon. so literally she's like, "Do you want to fuck?" and he's like ha, 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 I don't know <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh,
3: yeah, um." <laughs> Yeah, uh, I thought this ended on the grave site. Well, yeah, then the there's that's
0: the, epilogue. that's the epilogue. The epilogue, which oh, we were okay. going to have you, you read the summary for the epilogue. And just oh shoot! It. Okay, since we have a fourth all person, right. we have should a fourth. We... Uh, do you need a link to this uh, page we've been reading from? Yes, I do. Yeah.
2: Okay, we probably should have told um, you that we.
3: Expected yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's all right. Like I, I, this is not too much responsibility. I could handle it. Um. Any Any but, other uh, thoughts
0: on chapter sixty three? Pretty short, little.
4: Yeah.
3: I
0: just can't stop thinking of Omen as Omen Dran from the Acquisitions Incorporated. I okay. think also, I mean, I think it's also
3: funny that, um, to my memory, Brandon's not married at this point, right? Uh, um, and question. so then he, I, because I, I, I feel like in the introduction to Hope of Elantris, he talks about how yes. he was dating his yes. future wife at the time. Yes, he yeah. does. He does. Um, And so... Uh, I think, I don't, I, there is something deeply relatable to me, uh, about Brandon writing a novel where his wife is excited to fuck. (laughs) Because I, I, you know, there's all sorts of like weird sexual anxiety in Mormonism, as you can imagine. Oh, sorry, I just dropped my phone. Um, and so I just think that's funny. It's not. I'm not saying it's good. <laughs>
1: but, you know, it's definitely fun. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> this, um, this is. There's something I want to talk about, which is like, yeah. what the fuck is the theology of the new like I would government? Love to know because because <laughs> like okay. Rayadin is, I guess, still Karathi. He's having, you know, the, the, the Pope of, or not the Pope, sorry. He's having not the Pope, which actually I think is a weird decision in a way, but he's having a Karathi priest perform his wedding. Um, and he says, like, and he's thinking about this and he's like, yeah, this is like an important thing to do, uh... Father Omen, well aware of the precedent set by an Elantrian asking a Karathi priest to officiate his wedding, had prepared an extensive speech for the occasion. And I get that this is just a joke about, like, a boring old man giving a speech, but no! I want to fucking know what's in the goddamn speech! But also... Where he's trying to reconcile the concept of this monotheistic, like, basically Protestant religion with the fact that they are now ruled by a god-king! <laughs> what the hell?
4: And
2: this is yeah, this yeah. is also
0: going to be complicated by the first part of this next summary of the epilogue because yeah. uh the, is really trying to shake things up in yeah, uh, Um I
2: I guess I had thoughts about Hraithan that I I want to get to in the epilogue, but that did remind yeah. me of Harethan thoughts from chapter 62, which is that uh, as he's dying, he's talking to Serenia about like well, you know, I still serve Jadith, just not Wern. And, like, yeah, like I'm trying to square away the differences between Shudirith and Shukorath in my brain. He He's he's continuing to have this crisis of faith in his dying moments, and just, he... what an utterly unsatisfying conclusion to this character I love. Yeah. When we don't know what Shudirith and Shukorath are. Rathen's
0: final, yeah. like, big moment is maybe... I'm thinking about becoming a Protestant. Uh.
2: <laughs>
4: or, like, it's not
1: so much... Because what he's really thinking about becoming is, like, a... Well, okay, first of all, if we're trying to analogize these religions to real-world ones, <laughs> I actually still think that um, that uh, Shu Dareth is, like, a really offensive, like, uh, Islam thing, unfortunately. Yes. Um, yes. yeah. But absolutely. he's, like, thinking of becoming, like, a, a kind of... Um, You know, a a sort of, like, ex-Dorethi of the kind that there are for many real-world religions where it's like, well, I believe that the official rulings of this church are wrong, but I do believe that the fundamental theology is right. It's just that they've perverted, like, the original teachings or whatever. And, like, this is a, um, like, for, I think, any church that has, like, a sort of an official authority, there are people who have this perspective so I don't want to act like it's impossible, but because we have no idea what the teachings of Shudareth yes. are, it's like, okay, I thought Shudareth was all about submitting to authority. So how can you possibly say that you worship Jadith and not Wern? Like, do yeah. you believe that you are Wern's chosen king? Or do you believe that actually Wern doesn't choose kings and that was a lie all along? Or like, what do you think I- about this, buddy?
2: I believe that Wraithen yeah, yeah, is, sure. is Jareth's chosen king. I believe that
4: personally. Uh,
0: <laughs> he's, he's our chosen king.
2: I yeah,
1: can't, I can't believe there's going to be an Elantra sequel with no Wraithen in it.
2: What are we even what doing here?
1: I, God, maybe they'll meet his ghost. I mean, that would be sick. But,
3: uh. I yeah, I I mean, I think that's the th- and that's sort of the thing is that the stuff with Wraithen is, like, the only stuff in the novel that feels emotionally real to me at all. And I, I think also, like, there are, like, I mean, this is kind of a weird thing to say about uh, Mormonism, um, because it's ultimately, like, a pretty mystic religion. Like, you know, the Joseph Smith was getting revelations by, like, looking at a seer stone in a hat and stuff, right? Oh, i love to do um, that. But, like... That stuff has sort of been obscured over the years, and there is sort of an attitude among some in the faith that it's like, oh, this is logical. Yeah. Like, the way that Mormonism extrapolates on uh, Christian theology is really logical, and so because it makes sense, I'm like—and so I think Horathe sort of wrestling with that stuff is interesting and resonant, but I think— it's resonant because I have this real world understanding of some of that stuff, not because it's a apt metaphor for something in the real world or that it reflects, you know, yeah. because there's not right. that material to build on. Yeah, like, right? I would,
1: I, I it, it is so frustrating to me that, like, it, it has always been this thing, like, Hrathan brings this up in, like, his, his final moments, I think, where he's like, yeah, I was appealed to by this faith, I was appealed, this faith appealed to me because of its, like, you know, its rational structure and that like appealed to my personality, uh, and I think I've talked before about how I felt like that was kind of strange because it's like, Hraethen grew up in this culture. It's not like he considered world religions and then chose the one that accorded with his feelings, you know? Yeah. Um, well,
3: I do. I do. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. But
1: but I but it makes it does make sense to me that Hraethen would sort of justify that faith to himself on the basis of well, this is rational and I'm a rational man. But like. Yeah, like, what does Shudereth say about the world that Rathan finds to be such a compelling and rational explanation for the world? Like,
3: yeah, we don't know. Well, I think, again, this is in, like, in um, Mormonism, there is, like, it's tricky because a lot of the project over the past, like, 150 years in Mormonism has been, like, assimilation into white Christianity, mm-hmm. right? but also there is like a strict defining yourself against right that like the pretty much the like origin myth of mormonism is Joseph Smith went to a bunch of churches and then was and then god talked to him and said none of these are true you are called to like restore the true church mm-hmm. right so there is this like there's a lot of like oh we baptize by immersion which is like the correct way to do it and like we have actual authority from god unlike you know so there's sort of this definition against right and a way that, like, oh, this, we understand scripture in the way that, like, other people don't, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like, again, that sort of ties into it, where it's like, there's a way in which, um, I don't even, shoot, j- I don't even know what the name Shuddereth of it is. Shoe Dareth is, um, right? Shoe Dareth, yeah. You know, defines itself against the other sort of branches, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And is like, but... Again, that's not specifically articulated, right? And I'm pulling so much from real world experience to like fill that in in a way that the novel just doesn't do. Yeah, right. It's just not there. Yeah. Um, I also
1: think you... that like it it is really weird because when 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 we read this book, we see a lot of like possible resonances with Mormonism in faith and struggle with faith, and I think part of that is that we are aware that Mormonism is in some ways like an imperialist religion, right? Like the way that it Mm -hmm. pursues like missionary work, for example. Um, But I don't think that Brandon sees that. I could be wrong, but I would be really surprised if Brandon sees a connection between the imperialism of Shudareth and the real world imperialism of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Like I think he sees his missionary work as basically a positive thing.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, I I think so too. And I I think I mean I think the thing is that it is the connections are drawn whether you realize it or not. Yeah, like there is you know there is an association um, that the church in some ways tries to work against, but that is inevitably a part of it with of Americans of Americanness with Mormonism, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, and also the structure of, like, doing missionary work. You're at a companionship that's part of a district, that's part of a zone, that's part of a mission, that's part of, like, a network of, you know, right. Is like, in some way militaristic, yeah. right? Or sort of modeled after, like, business and, you know, so the thing is, I, I think that stuff makes its way in, because it's just part of the thing. Right, yeah. I don't think it is intentional, right, but it is like bound up. I do think it is interesting that like this the character whose faith is in, in any way articulated and that has like sub resonances with things that I've experienced in Mormonism is like <laughs> the bad guy. Yeah. Right? But you're but I think that's also because you're right that it's like filtered through Islam, right, being sort of this like foreign aggressor right yeah stuff and so then that's the way it's like oh it's this perversion of the truth or whatever right and so i think it that's how i think it gets justified right yeah I, Um, i feel like but there was sort of a weird resonance there too
1: i i feel like um the way that this uh book thinks about like what the fjordal empire is doing it it strikes me as being really deeply influenced by the way like white Americans conceived of jihad in like the mm-hmm. early two thousands as like this you know religious war to like conquer the infidel, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, like and and I I'm not trying to say by the way that like. I'm not trying to say that, like, the global war on terror has been, like, a war of, like, Americans against, like, a conquering imperial force. That is not what I'm saying. But I do think that a lot of Americans viewed it that way.
4: Uh Right,
3: right. Well, and that's also how they mythologize, like, the Crusades as being a similar thing. Yeah. Like, actually, it was a war of Islam aggression um, against Europe or whatever. Which is, you know, I mean, people do the opposite where it's like, actually, the Europeans were, like, this you know, savage horde, which also like, I don't think is right either. Yeah. But just to say that like, you know, the mythology. Yeah. Like you're absolutely right. Is all I'm
1: yeah. I think there was, um, and it still is, but especially in like the mid two thousands, I think there was a kind of like liberal mythology of like, yes, the crusades were bad. They were like white Christian, like empire building. And like, 9 11 is like the same thing because, like, people mm-hmm. killing each other over religion is bad, and like, there's not right, uh, yes, like, sure. this is you know, mm-hmm. this is certainly something that, um, a lot of like the new atheist movement would be like, Yeah, religious fundamentalism is evil, and like, this is not me saying that religious fundamentalism or people killing each other because their religion are like good things in some contexts, but like, the idea that, um, that uh the kind of the idea that this is like a a trans historical trans cultural phenomenon of people killing each other because of religion that can all sort of be described in the same way regardless of like what the actual like geopolitics of the situation is
3: right i mean exactly yeah yeah well that's like i i don't you know know a ton about the crusades um but just to say that like Imperialism in like the sort of Marxist definition of how we understand what imperialism is right did not exist then like it was a different thing yeah you know and that doesn't that isn't me being like oh and it was good that Europe did the Crusades right <laughs> like they're yeah forward. but it wasn't but uh, it was not imperialism
1: not a- the highest stage of capitalism. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, no, it, it is like a different kind of historical event, right, that is contextualized very differently. And that doesn't mean that there's no parallels that we can draw, right? Right. But I think we should, you know, people should be cautious about that stuff in a way that, you know, Brandon, in this book, <laughs> is not to bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Grace. Um, should I, should I, yes,
0: yeah, should I read the summary? Yes. Uh, um, if you, would you kindly... Shut the, fuck uh, read us the Shut the fuck up. Read us <laughs> the
3: epilogue. I would. I don't know why I'm compelled to, but I will.
0: Um,
4: wow.
0: It's a,
2: it's a reference to a video game.
1: Of course. Yeah, don't of course worry it about is. it. Okay.
2: <laughs>
3: um, a week has passed since the wedding between Sereni and Raiden. During this time, the throne of Aralon has been restored to its former place in Elantris and serfdom has been abolished throughout the nation. Sereni and Raiden gather with Shuden, Galadon, and Luciel's families for Horathan's funeral. The Gyorn Hraithan is buried alongside other tombs, including those of Rayoral, Ilondel, uh, Karata, Ioden, and Ceylon. <laughs> um, the area containing these graves is to become a memorial to the victims and heroes of the invasion of Erlon, as well as the battles of Elantris and uh, Teoras. Sereni gives a short speech about Hraithan's com- contributions to the restoration of Elantris and the recent victories against Firodel She finishes by proclaiming that Hraithan should not be remembered as an enemy to Erlon, but as a savior and a hero. So...
2: Uh, thought here, my my thought here about Freython and the sort of like capstone to Freython's arc through this book is that someone stands at a funeral and says, I didn't know what his deal was. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. And what an unfortunate ending to this character I love that someone is supposed to be delivering this sort of like, and here's who Freython was. Like, I'm at his funeral. Like, trying to tell you who he is. We could have had chapter... You literally wrote a situation where, like, Hrathan and Sereni were alone together for some amount of time. You could have written a scene where she's like, and then I got to know the real Hrathan, you know? You could have done that. But no, the ending of the book is that this character that you love, I'm going to stand up here and say really a land of contrast. I don't know what his deal was. <laughs> <laughs> but his yeah. dick was huge, and he was so cool, and we all love
0: him. Yeah, I... Also, Hrathen's last, like, piece of narrative is him dying and thinking, wow, she never knew that I was in love with her. God, <laughs> fuck off!
1: <laughs> yeah, the Hrathen is in love with Serini shit that got, like, pulled out right at the end of this book sucks. Fuck
2: off. I hate this book.
1: Also, I think it's it's an awful book. As far as this, like this memorial that they've built, I think it's very, very funny that they explicitly buried mostly people they love and respect. Prathan, who although he was their enemy for eighty percent, ninety percent of the book, they've decided they love and respect him now. And Eodon, <laughs> who sucked, who simply sucked, and that's no, you the, see,
0: you have to have both that, sides. Yeah,
1: that's literally what it says. This area This area was to become <laughs> This area was to become a memorial, a way of remembering those who had fought for Erlone as well as the man who had tried to crush it. Every lesson had two sides.
0: Oh, <laughs> stupid yeah. There are heroes on both sides.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's not, like, I how... I hate this book. Like, I, I get the idea that this is meant to be, like, we must never forget, like, Eodon's tyranny so that we never repeat it or whatever. But, like, that's not how people, like, memorialize things like that. It's so strange. Yeah. There's
2: it's... not, like, a... a... There's not a special tomb for, like, Mussolini, where everybody is like, ah, we have to go, like, memorialize Mussolini so we can remember how evil he was.
0: There is that big tomb in Italy, is there? That is, like, specifically abandoned now. Okay. yeah, I I don't remember if it's Mussolini, but it was uh, the big fascist tomb that's, like, just on the outskirts of some town, and nobody goes there anymore. Okay. Or something like that. I'm, oh, okay, I'm, I'm yeah. remembering, like, 80% of this story. Okay. But- I mean,
3: well, yeah, the thing is that, like, I, I guess, like, you know, in Germany, for example, like, so much, basically all of Nazi, like, sort of Nazi buildings and iconography was either reappropriated or destroyed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, again, like, Brandon's not showing an eye to, like, how things like this have worked historically, Right. And just being like, oh, I mean, he's he's using the same logic that people are like, some people are like, oh, we need to keep keep the Confederate statues up because it's like a memory of the horrible things that happened. Oh,
1: God, this is that. <laughs> oh, wow. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
3: my God. <laughs> which is like, yeah, which is also infuriating and seeing people like in I mean, I've mean, i seen people Volk Germany in that and be like, yeah, like taking down these statues, like taking down like Holocaust memorials or like, you know, the buildings where. Or, or concentration camps like it's not like that at all yeah you do not understand the, he- the history of this at all yeah <laughs> right the, and
4: so the
1: relationship you know. incidentally speaking of I, I decided to look it up about Mussolini specifically um and like it's genuinely very like weird and complicated and like i think represents the way that uh his countries that had a fascist movement relate to that history because at first, his body was, like, hung up in public for people to, like, tear apart and, like, destroy because they hated him so much. But then, right. later, uh, fascist supporters stole his body and buried it in his family crypt, and now neo-fascists go there to, like,
0: okay. the, Oh, yeah. The tomb that I was thinking of is not in Italy at all. It's in Spain for Franco. Ah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess my point, though, is that, like, any any kind of, like... You know, the, the burial of any, like, deposed, hit, like, political figure, like, someone who is a, an official, like, enemy of the state that exists now, is always going to be, like, a, a a point of, like, a weird focus for the people who want to return to that period, right? Like, right. if, yeah, if sure. there were any, like, Eodon supporters still around, which I think we're meant to believe there totally aren't, which is dumb which
2: is funny because of what we now know about uh, uh Raiden's new government. <laughs> I know, right?
1: But like if there were any Eodon supporters still around, you would expect them to like come and lay flowers on Eodon's grave and like make a big thing of it and be like he was a great man, like he 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 was harsh but he led us in the way we needed to be led and like you'd think that would actually be like a huge problem for Raiden, but it's fine actually.
0: Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Everyone always mm. wanted Raiden to be king, remember? Right.
1: Oh
4: my god.
0: I mean, um, I mean who was going to... Like, the only people who would still be with Eodon were the other people in the Scary Mysteries who were probably killed that night, right?
2: I I just... If the justification here was that um, despite, like, the evil things he did, Raiden wanted a, like, s- some way to memorialize his dead father who he still felt a lot of sympathy toward, you know, because that was his, his dad... I would have no complaints about that, but instead it's just the dumbest sort of, like, waxing poetic about both sides bullshit (laughs) justification.
0: Um, Also, uh, you know... He tried to abolish nobility. (laughs) Right! What?
2: Right! In seven days, it was decided... That he tried to abolish nobility, but the people said no. In seven (laughs) days. And the objection
1: objection on the part of the common people was that it seemed unnatural not to have nobles. A thing they've only had for ten years. For ten years!
0: Look, yeah, you only um, need one go- king, uh, president, uh, uh, me? <laughs> it's just me.
1: They've, uh, and, and, like, supposedly he's transformed the nobility into, like, servants of the country and, and, like, food distributors, which is what they always should have been. Which is, like, holy shit, this is literally the ideology of feudalism from, like, medieval Christian Europe. Like, the idea that, yeah. like, the nobility, like... Uh I mean okay not quite the uh, there wasn't the idea that like okay the nobles like serve the common people but the idea that like uh yes they like take care of the common people and that is simply their role in this uh divinely ordained structure like
2: oh my god
0: <laughs> some sort of oblige yeah yeah, liege.
2: yeah. <laughs> also in 7 days uh raid and totally restructured society and all these no- former nobles are totally fine with their new are lifestyle. You going not argue
0: with the guy who can like <laughs> <laughs> just blast you with magic. Yeah, but, he like, is a god king.
1: The... <laughs> oh my god, wait. How do Okay, how do all the other lantrians relate to this class system? Like are they are some Are of they
0: all... <laughs> Well, you see they're all from all walks of life cuz the transformation strikes at random, so they're all sort of disparate Uh, people who are united by being uplifted into this Elantrian caste.
1: So if you... Okay, if you were, like, a fucking, like, dirt farmer before being taken by the the Mm -hmm. um, and and so you you got tossed into Elantris and you were, like, human filth for five years, and then, like, uh, the God King drew the line and fixed it, and now you're, like, glowing and shit. So do you... Go well, back to being a dirt farmer, except no, that you glow. No, or do see, you? He,
0: this is the strength of Elantris, the city, as a sort of melting pot of all these the... different backgrounds. <laughs> we are all Elantrians, and like, we are all the... empowered like... in this way. But because we are so uh, so different, we have this like I hate that you're right. pool of conflicting like, viewpoints that we can bash a- against each other and, like, work toward a solution from many different perspectives. But that increases the wisdom of the Elantrian caste and allows us to rule because we are of the people. But there is a god king. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Go He's
0: only king because of Eodon, because they didn't have kings before that.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, like, the the what was the, what was the power structure within Elantris more than 10 years ago, like, did the Elantrians, like, just like when they wanted to, I don't know, change policy in Kai, did they just like do it? Wh- how did they don't... who decided things in Elantris among the Elantrians? Like, we don't know, we'll never know. Maybe <laughs> All we'll those know someday. Are
0: dead. They, they, Brandon killed them so that he wouldn't have to explain that part of the story. <laughs> yeah.
1: There was one guy, one guy who was an Elantrian from before the fall, and he got tossed into the pool.
0: <laughs> I mean, some of the people are left who were old uh. Elantrians, right? I don't know. We presume, but we don't they actually found know this one yeah. guy, and I think it's unclear
2: yeah. if there was more. Um, I, I, sorry, I, I was like three quarters of the way through making this point earlier, and we got sidetracked. Oh, sorry. I'm still just so taken with like all the nobles were just totally fine with their lifestyles being uprooted. They're like, all the nobles were just like, yeah, I love not owning slaves anymore. Like, that's great. That's a thing that people really take well historically is not having... But again, are
0: you going to (laughs) argue with the guy who is a god king who can teleport to your ranch and then, like, mangle your body in unknown ways with these magic symbols?
3: Well, Well, the thing is that that's also the thing that the nature of kingship is the implicit violence yes. that you were able to perform in order to enable power, right? Yeah. Yes. Which Raiden is, like, free from. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just a good guy. Like, I, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like that. And that's so,
3: yeah. So, like, you, I, I think you're absolutely right, Nora, but, like, that's not- I don't think that's what the novel is trying to get across, right? <laughs> that there's, like, this implicit violent threat that Raiden has against the nobles, you know? Yeah, everyone's just like, "Yeah, we'll go." We're we think you're great, Rayodin. Speech, we love you. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no, his wife does. She's uh, the one who's always given speeches. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah.
1: Oh my god, what are That's... what's gonna what's gonna happen when Sereni and Raiden's child is presumably not necessarily a Lantrian? Like that can happen. That's like Galadon's background, but clearly it doesn't happen every single time. Especially because, like, Galadon well, wasn't there- grew up in Elantris as a non Elantrian. So, like, is their child going to be able to inherit? Or.
0: Well, I mean, the, the, the child will at least inherit Teode. If not.
1: Combined. Oh, yeah, that's a
0: well, good point. Well, <laughs> because the other, the other little dumb
2: sequel hook for, once again, book that has not been followed up 15 years later is. That it's really,
0: really important that Brandon writes two eras of Mistborn and the first half of Stormlight before he writes Elantris <laughs> 2 Cerini just thinks to himself just thinks to
2: herself You know what? What if my dad doesn't have a legal claim to the throne? Wouldn't that be wacky? Oh, anyway, Because <laughs> of his brother. Yeah. <laughs> oh right
3: because that's also a thing that doesn't
2: matter in this book. <laughs> no! No! <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what I think is uh. funny in terms of just, like, random shit? Because there's just this period where, like, there's, like, four paragraphs in a row where it's, like, here's this thing you might have been wondering about at this point in the book. Here's what happened with that. And one of them is that, like, hmm, what if Keen is the real, like, the, the rightful king? And that's, like, hey, yeah, what what if? That seems like a big deal. um And then uh, one of the things that is treated as basically of, like, equal importance is, like, why is Galadon still bald? <laughs> uh. Like, what? Yes. <laughs> You're totally right. You
4: know,
3: sorry, I just had a brain blast that... Um, yeah? That, like, the the cool group of revolutionaries that Cerini hangs out with is just, like, the priesthood leadership of a ward. It's just, like, all these cool guys. Yeah, just are all her cool
1: out. uncles, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I, uh. I
1: feel like there may be some weird shit going on here with, like, because Galadon is, is dou- part doula, or, or is doula, and, like, the doula people are partly ethnically related to the, like, Aeonic people. He is, like, not a full Elantrian, and that's why, A, he's bald still, rather than, like, the... And his
2: skin is darker. Yes. That is another comment that is made here.
1: Yes. So I don't like any of that, but it does kind of feel like that's being seeded somehow. Um, Certainly we never got any kind of follow-up on the ethnic nature of the Elantrian state.
3: (sighs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, I feel like because there are people in Mormonism, and I'm not saying I'm not saying branded as one of these people,
4: mm-hmm.
3: but there are people who are like, oh, when the resurrection happens, everyone's going to be white mm-hmm. because that's like part of the you know you are free of the curse of Ham or whatever you know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's again, Elantris has a little bit of that energy, uh, in it. You know. Yeah. Uh, ah, uh, terrible entrance. book Awful novel Yeah, I, I, What a weird
4: book I, weird I
1: kinda book. gotta go guys um, Yeah, Partly because of real world stuff But also just like I gotta go I gotta leave, I'm done yeah.
2: <laughs> You wanna do <laughs> your plugs mark And then we'll wrap up the rest of it
1: Yeah uh, you can find me on twitter At Char Asnablunt And you can listen to my other podcast Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements Which is a Moby Dick podcast uh, you, or you can find that at abnormalmapping dot com slash whale. Thanks everyone. See ya.
0: Bye. See ya. Thank you so much, Mark. Um. So weird book.
2: Weird book. Next time we're gonna be talking about the sort of bonus material in the tenth edition. Uh, Are we doing Hope of Elantris? The week after that, we'll do humble launchers the week after that. I guess we'll do questions next time. I meant to get to them today, but I don't want to do them without no. Mark. So, yeah, I was, yeah, for I mean, sure. Yeah,
0: we weren't asking questions with, uh, yeah. with a guest on the podcast because that would elongate things even more. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, um, um, next week we will be reading the deleted scenes, which uh involve the mad prince who was cut from this book. Mm-hmm. We will be reading the postscript. Uh, which was a letter from Brandon and an extra scene, uh, extra Hoid scene, the Hoid chapters we've discussed previously. And uh, we will try to talk about the annotations for Elantris yeah. on Brandon's website, which are probably not that interesting, but m- we have found some gems in them before. Yes. Um, before please we... send in emails to exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com and put Elantris in the subject line.
2: Before we, like, do plugs and get out of here, Grace, do you have any last thoughts about Elantris that we, like, I don't want to, like, cut you off from saying your piece about this book? Oh, no,
3: I guess, I guess one thing that, um, like, I've been thinking about a lot, as y'all have been reading it, as I read it, is that, um, whole deal, where she's, like, rejected by society for being too hot and smart, um... (laughs) is kind of reminiscent of a thing that happens in 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 mormonism where um i think there's a lot of like sort of more liberally minded women in the church who struggle with finding men who like respect them as human beings right and are Mm -hmm. like want to enable them to have like lives outside of the church or outside of like being a mother right things like that um And I think Cerini's arc with all that stuff, like, resembles that in a real way. Uh, Which is, I think, again, like, an example of Brandon sort of importing something and then not really thinking through the full implications of it because she's a princess. (laughs) And so it's not like, you know... Anyway, so um, there's, I guess there's, like, there's really good stuff by Emily Brown, who's a uh, singer-songwriter out of Provo called um, Unseen Girl, I think it's called. And it's kind of about... This, like, oh, I'm in love with this boy who is constantly pining for something that isn't real. Like, a person that doesn't actually exist that is more perfect than could be, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's something that happens a lot. There's this idealization of femininity in this really specific, limited way, right? Um, and yeah, but the novel's not about that, and so it just kind of does all this weird stuff that doesn't make any sense in the context, so... <laughs> um, which you already which you already talked about very well. So I yeah. you know, that's my one note. Adding to that.
0: The next two episodes are we're gonna have a crash course on Cosmere bullshit as well, because uh yeah. between Hoyd's chapter and the Arcanum Unbounded yeah. page, um lots of new <clears throat> proper nouns we're gonna throw at Mark and say, Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um well, Grace,
2: where can people find you online? Uh, so I'm at Grace underscore machine
3: on Twitter. Uh, you can find me. I write a column at Uppercut, and I have a regular slot at Paste Magazine. Um, so you can read me there. Uh, I mean, I'm also a weekend editor at Gamepur, but I'm not really write there. Mm-hmm. So there's not anything for you to look up that's I did. Um, that's about it uh i've got other podcasts but they're kind of on like hiatus so you know they're on the abnormal mapping network if you want to look them up but
0: well thank you for being on the show
3: yeah of course i really enjoyed it i hope y'all had a good time with me as well we did this is a good episode
0: yeah um nora you can find me on twitter at neither nora find stuff i've done at norablake.online you can find You can support this podcast at exportod.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio, either one. And, uh... Man. I don't think we have any plans for any Sanderson bonus content anytime soon, but... uh, You'll get episodes a week early if you're a Patreon. If you're a Patreon of a patron. (laughs) And uh, if you like us talking about books, later today we're going to record... The first real episode of Bag End Book Club, which is a podcast where Autumn, me, M, and Jackson are going to read the most relevant of Tolkien's uh, Middle-Earth works, <laughs> i.e. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and The Silmarillion. Who knows what we'll get up to after that, but I know I will continue it because um, Children of Hurin, for example, is the audiobooks read by Christopher Lee, so I'm definitely going to be listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> And there's other podcasts yeah, my... that we do. You can yeah. check them out.
2: Yeah. Uh, you find me on Twitter at uh, autumnal underscore coffee. All my other stuff at exportodd.io. Um, listen to Ornate Stairwells, uh, a movie podcast. We just talked about uh, Akira. We just talked about uh, the first two reveals of Evangelion movies. We didn't mean to. That wasn't a scheduled thing. It was just that we had both watched it and talked about it. Um... Yeah normally we talk about like 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 next the next real episode is going to be about Tokyo Drifter which is a much more like normal episode for us just like watching like you know 20th century art house movies
0: <laughs> um, so yeah and that brings us to the end of most of you launch poem, Chris, and uh, the end of this episode Uh, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon.